Hello, it's episode 23, and we're back for another episode of Double Oz 7, your third favourite James Bond podcast. Uh, back for another episode of the film recaps, and tonight, today, uh, midday, wherever you are, we are talking about Lethal Weapon and uh, Beverly Hills Cop, um, well, Die Hard, uh, <laughs> All your favourite films, um, starring everyone's favourite James Bond, um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, um, <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme, all your favourite late 80s action stars. Benicio uh, Del Toro. Honey <laughs> <laughs> more? Oh, we'll get to that. Um, well, in case you haven't gathered uh, from you, know, you downloading this episode and the title, we are talking about... Licensed to Kill, um, and you know I'm going straight for your heart, from 1989. Uh, the, la- the last Dalton film, the last film of the 80s, the last John Glenn film, um, the last real Cubby Broccoli produced film, I guess you could say. Um, it's a film for lasts, and maybe the last time I'll ever watch this. Uh, that's a joke. But anyway, starring Timothy Dalton, not any of those other people. Uh, my name is Noah Groves, and yeah, License to Kill. My name is Ben, and um, if you ask me to, I just might give my heart and stay here in your arms forever. I hope you weren't talking to me. Um... <laughs> <laughs> to Timothy Dalton, I was. To Timothy Dalton. <laughs> And my name's Colin, and I want to know who is handing out the license to kill the franchise here. <laughs> um, yeah, let's get straight into it. You all know the the story, 1989. It's the second Dalton film and also the last, so we'll just jump straight into the film. Um, none of this pre-Origins thing. They wanted to rip off 80s action movies because they were popular, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, so let's get into the general kind of thoughts on it. And um, I don't hate this film, but there's so much wrong with this film, and it is so far removed from a James Bond film that if you didn't like know Dalton was Bond, you probably wouldn't even be able to tell that this was a James Bond film. Um, there's definitely some good about it, but it gets painfully boring in some spots, and the, the acting in this film really is horrible, and the script is really not great um so this is not one of my favorites it's barely a james bond film but it's still enjoyable in some parts and i still watch it every now and then but yeah i know ben's got different opinions so many different opinions um i want to quote you noah groves here because um in our moonraker episode you were quick to uh turn around and basically say uh, get over the fact that this is James Bond in space. Just get over it. Put it aside and enjoy this for what it is. I'm going to say this for License to Kill. Yes, um, I can get the criticisms that this is essentially a extended episode of Miami Vice. And uh, as you kind of pointed out there, you know, very similar to a lot of 80s films. But I don't necessarily see that as a bad thing. The James Bond franchise over the decades have um have completely you know gone with the trends in terms of the films like the type of films that were out there we we talked about that in the 70s you know man with the golden gun uh 
Live and Let Die. You know, they went through things with like the black exploitation films that were big at the time, you know, the Kung Fu films, Moonraker, straight into, you know, science fiction that was huge at the time. Um, you know, and we get that later on with the Daniel Craig films. You know, you can say that a lot of them were influenced from, say, the Bourne films or just even the rebooting, the fact that they did that and kind of went for a more serious tone to kind of keep them um, the way that they did. So I don't see any issue with what they've done here with license to kill they've gone with what was big at the time and to me i honestly think it is a james bond film i i don't see how it can't be considered as something like that because i i said this at the end of living daylights i love the fact that james bond i mean he doesn't turn evil but you know this is james bond by himself this is james bond going on a on a mission without really the help of mi6 and just doing something like this and i'm a fan of kind of people like this or characters like this who have to go outside of their elements and do something a little bit differently, even if it's just for one film. We kind of get a lot of that later on in the modern films with Bond, like, oh, no, he's not part of MI6 anymore. He's gone rogue. But this is really the first one to sort of do it. And I enjoy this film. Um, I think this is one that I do not think is boring at any point in this movie. Yes, I will agree with you. The acting in a lot of this is pretty crap, but... Um, I think Dalton gives a fantastic performance. Um, I think that this has got one of the greatest villains in the history of Bond films. Um, and yes, I'm even going to defend uh, the Bond girls in this film. So um, if you're not a License to Kill fan and you're going to agree a lot with Colin in this film, uh, you're probably not going to like me talking in this episode at all. <sighs> well, Ben's still an idiot. Um... <laughs> well, tell us some new information that we haven't learned from 23 episodes. I... I wish I had some new information, but I swear Noah's 60 seconds uh, uh, talking just about his initial opinion of this movie took away half of my notes that I have on this entire film. Um, <laughs> what am I going to do here? Okay, I'm going to give a couple of rebuttals here. I mean, first of all, I don't hate this movie. I don't even really dislike this movie. I do dislike it as a Bond movie for a few reasons that Noah already gave. It is very much just your typical 80s movie. I mean, we talked a lot about how the plot's just Miami Vice. Just the movie itself is so influenced by Lethal Weapon and Die Hard that they even cast some of the same actors. Um, the hardest thing here is that the, the idea that uh, you brought up, Ben, that, that the Bond movies have always been influenced because that is a, a very frequent argument people have for the positive of License to Kill. Well, they're always influenced. There's a big difference here. Uh, Moonraker had some sci-fi elements. It was still a traditional Bond movie. Uh, Man with the Golden Gun, You Only Live Twice, they were influenced by some of the things that were happening at the time, some of the things that were popular. This entire movie is just completely different from everything we've seen before. It is, it is so influenced by everything around it, and there is barely anything of Bond retained in here. Um, I hear the same argument often given, you know, people will compare, like you said, Casino Royale, Quantum of Solace with the whole Bourne influence. Outside of the way the fight scenes are filmed, there's nothing that Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace have in common with Bourne. This movie could have just had Mel Gibson in it, a few more jokes, and it is Lethal Weapon 2. It's the original Lethal Weapon 2 or Lethal Weapon 3. And it's just also coincidental, like... Oh, I'll give a bit of history here. I mean, if you, I think I mentioned in past episodes how the Bond movies really were the only big blockbuster action movies for so many decades. Blockbuster actions as we know them today, you know, the Jerry Bruckheimer, Michael Bay movies, uh, whatever else, those really started. I think the first influence would have been the Rambo movies in the 80s, but that was more a military thing. 
it really wasn't until Lethal Weapon and Die Hard, which came coincidentally again a year or two before this, that blockbuster actions really started. And this movie was being competitive because for the first time ever, it, after Le Living Daylights, they had competition and there were other blockbuster action movies out there. And they just did everything they could to imitate every other movie. And if you watch this movie and don't think of it as a Bond movie, it is enjoyable. So there were times where I was enjoying it this time. But like Noah said, if you did not mention the name James Bond in this, if you did not already see Timothy Dalton, it's going to take you half the movie to even realize this is a Bond movie. And for that reason, I mean, it's it's still so hard for me to watch at times. I still enjoy watching this film, but just objectively, um, like, in terms of all the 80s action movies and that, like, objectively, I think this is a bad film. Um, and that's not necessarily too bad of a thing, because I enjoy, uh, air quotes, bad films. Um, they can be fun to watch, you know, B-movies and that, but... Like, just, it does not even stack up against other, a lot of other 80s action movies. Obviously, there's probably a load of trash amongst 80s action movies. But, um, yeah, I don't bring up Diamonds Are Forever. But objectively, <laughs> this is a bad film, in my opinion. Um, but, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it as we go along. And we should get straight into it, uh, talking about the pre-titles. And before that, we have a gun barrel with some... <laughs> Very bizarre music. I'm not sure if any of you picked Written up on psycho that. Like, music down here. <laughs> yeah, like it was dun, 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 like something going on there at the beginning. Um, I was having a which, stroke. Why they chose to do that, I'm not sure. Um, but we open up in the, a car with Bond, uh, Felix. David Hedison is back. Uh, it's been a while, 1973, I think we last saw him, and they decided to bring him back, which... I think was a purposeful decision, which um, I'm sure we'll get into the novel of not this film, but Live and Let Die, which we might as well talk about now. This film kind of is Live and Let Die novel part two. Like if you combine this and the Live and Let Die film, you've pretty much got all of the novel. Like in the novel, uh, Felix gets attacked. Uh, he loses like a leg and an arm, I think, uh, attacked by sharks. Um, What's the line? He uh, something, something something disagreed with, with him. him. Yeah, that's yeah. actually a chapter and a line straight from the Live and Let Die novel. So Felix is fed to a shark uh, in that film. So that's directly taken from that. Other than that, we should also mention that this is the first uh, film in James Bond not to use a Fleming title in any way. And we should also mention this was supposed to be called License Revoked. Uh, but I think, I think the story it's a better goes, title. Uh, it's more Bondian, I guess, but I think the story is that Cubby Broccoli thought Americans would be too dumb to get it or something like that, which, uh, probably true. I thought it would be like um, a driving movie. <laughs> oh, no, Bond's lost his license to drive. <laughs> oh, no. We'll, we'll get into the title because I've got a bit of gripe with that, but I'll bring that up later when it's uh, relevant to Isthmus, if that's even how you say it. But anyway, um... So, yeah, it's very live and let die novelly. Uh, that's my theory as to why David Hedison's back. But even if that's not true, I'm happy to see him back because I like uh, David Hedison. 
Sharks. But Bond and Felix and Sharky, which uh, maybe we'll leave our thoughts on Sharky for a little bit. Bond, Felix and Sharky are in the car. They're on the way to Felix's wedding. And then the DEA show up and apparently Felix on his wedding day has to go with them for some reason. Uh, don't ask me why Felix has to work on this day. Um, and don't ask me why MI6 has anything to do with a drug raid uh, and the DEA. Um, but Bond joins in on the action in chasing Sanchez in... We're getting the villain straight off the bat, and we'll talk about him in a bit later as well. Um, in a pretty cool action scene, I'll admit, uh, with the plane and the helicopter, uh, that they managed to capture Sanchez. That's it. The film is over. Um, and after that, they parachute into Felix's wedding while Felix's wife has been driving around a lot over and over and over, waiting for them. Uh, and then we finally get a conclusion to Thunderball where he says, James, your hat! Um, with Bond and Felix and the hat. And they arrive at the wedding and we head into the title sequence. So overall, I think it's a pretty... It's a neat pre-title. It's definitely not one of my favourites. It's really bizarre that Felix and Bond would even be doing this and, like, poor timing. Um, and, like, can't we leave this up to the DEA? Like, way to ruin a wedding, but... The stunts are pretty cool, so it's not one of my favourites, but I think overall it's pretty entertaining. I love this opening sequence. I think it's fun, and it's kind of, you know, Bond on a day off going to Felix's wedding, which, you know, clearly he's forgiven Felix for not attending his own wedding. So, um, yes! Glad to patch that up um, after 20 years. Um, but it's, it's, it's fun, like... Yeah, it's kind of a bit strange that, oh, call him off on his wedding day, but, you know, law enforcement stops for no wedding. Like, you know, they've got to, they've got to get him. Sanchez is there, so um, an interesting... But why does he have to get him? Because he is Felix Leiter, and he's the best. Um, he's a CIA agent, though, so I don't know why he's working with the DEA. And the CIA, if I'm not mistaken, generally only works overseas. They don't generally work internally in the United States, so... Um, I'm not sure unless he's been recruited to the to the DEA, but um, it's it's I love kind of Felix like you know, um, and he's like you wait here, but no, I'm coming with you only as an observer. Sure, James Bond's just gonna sit in the passenger seat. Come on, Felix, you know him better than that. Um, but yeah, I think there's a lot of fun stuff in here. I love like driving around, you know, doing another lap, and what is it, um, Della's dad? Oh, I knew this was a mistake. <laughs> um, and then kind of the whole sequence, like we're going fishing and like catching him in the plane i just think it's fun and um you know we obviously get to we meet sanchez we meet now i'm gonna say a name wrong this entire film is it loop loop looper loopy loop loopy looper lupe uh we meet lupe um looper whatever we meet the bond girl that's not um that's not pam um so, you know, we meet them early, but then, yeah, the whole um, skydiving thing's fun. And then we see, yes, the hat. God, we've just finally got resolution to this. Like, we can go back and rename the episode from Dude, Where's My Hat to, Hey, we found your hat. Um, On the plane. <laughs> there it is. And, yeah, I, it's fun. I, an interesting little thing, though, that I read here about the wedding scene was that um, they actually got a few, like, extras to be involved in it, including there's a guy in this scene. I don't know who he is in the wedding scene. His name's Doug Redinius 
who was a postman from Chicago who had one of the largest collections of Bond memorabilia in the world. So somehow we got a, a role in the movie. And then there was another person called Sandy Sentul, a gym teacher from Atlanta who won an MTV VH1 competition to appear in the film. So <laughs> there you go. Sandy's always going to remember that. And She'd so... only waited six more years, and then it may have been notable. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Sandy. Let's get Sandy on the show. Sadly, she doesn't have an IMDb credit, although Doug does, so we might be able to get Doug. But um, yeah, this does is Doug this knows is, Sandy. This is are they married? <laughs> the Do they have an are. affair? This is a great opening sequence. I I love it. It's a pretty good opening sequence. I I wouldn't go so far as to call it great because there are a couple of kind of uh, cringeworthy moments here. Um, Again, the 80s influence is all over. I, I don't think that we've had any slow-mo in James Bond. And Aww. this isn't a movie filled with slow motion, but why John Glenn decided he need the uh, slow-mo Felix running with a machine Hedison's gun. David Hedison's Well, he's, he's got the, 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 the intense snarl. He's running with a machine gun, and his man boobies are flopping in slow motion. <laughs> like I don't think they thought that shot out so well. It, it is that's that's just, it's just one of those painfully were being completely influenced by the movies around it. So I was saying earlier that Bond movies may take elements of things that are popular, but the movies themselves are still Bond movies. And then the slow mo, it's just oh, it's too much for me. Thankfully, it ends there. Uh, I don't know. I don't know whether I should actually feel bad for Felix that his marriage ends up getting wrecked on the first night or whatever because he's the world's worst husband. Uh, this guy's ditching his wedding <laughs> to potentially get shot by a Mexican drug lord. Uh, I do like the plain stuff, though. The, the Again, the stunts are still really good here. We're not getting the big, massive stunts of the Roger Moore era, but we're getting some really good stunt scenes. Uh, the skydiving's cool. The, the plane hook. I do wonder after, well, pretty much when they jump out of the airplane, uh, Della's looking up and she's like, smiling and laughing and waving it's like look it's them Twenty thousand feet in the air she can tell like i'm not sure how she pinpointed them uh the only other thing that bothers me here is just bond as a best man and i'll complain more about this just in the interactions with della and felix later because you know bond was always sort of friendly with felix but i don't think there was any point in the novels or the films where you really get the impression that bond's like a barbecue guy <laughs> he's, he's just on good enough terms that he goes over and he he plays rock band with felix on his saturday night off and it's just it, just, it, it doesn't feel like bond just have such a friendly relationship where he would be best man at somebody's wedding i don't know Aww. that's a small complaint but I, I like the action stuff in here other than the slow-mo man booby shot um <laughs> it's 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 okay i think personally the action itself is at least better than The Living Daylights, uh, which I wasn't such a huge fan of that opening sequence. I just want to jump in super quickly and just say, in terms of the slow motion, I'm pretty sure it was a um, Spy Who Loved Me in the Q scene. I remember talking about that in the episode when we got a random slow-mo shot of something in that. But, um, yeah, I just, I'm pretty sure we had that in that film. Is it just me, or is Felix, like, 20 years older than Della? Like, I swear he, her dad looked younger than Felix. Um, well, he was, like, in his 60s, um, David, so... Whatever happened to uh, John Terry? <laughs> Who? He's still with his uh, CIA whores or something. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, 
it all ends well because they get married. Uh, creepy, pervy daddy marriage. Um, I think she's got daddy issues, Della. But uh, daddy issues, Della. That had no. uh, title sequence time. Had <laughs> ooh <laughs> too soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too, too soon. soon. Poor Della. <laughs> Poor Della. Rest in peace, Della. Spoiler. Um, title sequence. Um, what a horrible song. What a god awful, <gasps> horrible song. Um, like, Ben, you're going to defend this song, but I feel like I'm going to cringe a lot when <laughs> it's your turn to speak. Um, Nothing new there. <laughs> it's so bad. Um, it's definitely in bottom five, bottom six songs, in my opinion. Um, I think Mary sung this one. I can't quite remember. Um, I wouldn't call View to a Kill and uh, The Living Daylights gritty, but they were definitely away from the ballady songs. Um, but then this film, which arguably is one of the most gritty Bond films to date, then they go back to the ballad things. Like, wouldn't you have a really electric guitar kind of rock song for this or something? Or, like, cheesy 80s synth music um, that are in all those action movies? But instead, you've got this horrible ballady, like, I don't even know what it is, um, and it gets stuck in your head because it's just so bad. Um so I'm not a fan of this at all. I'm sorry. I don't think it fits the film. I don't think it's a good song. Um, it's a love song, which doesn't even fit the film that well. Um, as for the title sequence, uh, were cameras just starting to get popular in the late 80s? Uh, <laughs> other than that, I've got nothing. It's one of the most stock standard light blare intros that's neither good nor bad. It's just there and it doesn't really have anything to catch your attention to. I'll start with the title sequence. The title sequence sucks. It's shit. It's like, it's, I, I've got nothing really to add. Apparently, and I sort of, I wrote it down straight away. I wrote here, did it say who the song was sung by? And then I later read trivia. This is the only Bond song, apparently, to not feature uh, a mention of who actually sings the song. I guess maybe besides Dr. No or that. But really they were too song. embarrassed. Um, but... No, this song, wow, Gladys Knight, first of all, an icon. She's uh, just an absolute music legend, and I don't know if she really kind of gets a lot of credit for being a Bond artist, because, you know, you... you She doesn't get any credit, as we've just found out. (laughs) Well, I think it's it's wrong, because, like, you know, you you talk about your Shirley Bassey's, your Paul McCartney's, you know, these icons of the music world (laughs) who have sung Bond songs, and Gladys Knight's a big name. I mean, look, this is like an 80s power pop ballad that's just it it gets in your head and it's like the music it's fantastic it's just i i this is a song that i constantly pump out full bore when i'm listening to bond songs it's fantastic i was listening to this before we even came on air tonight um li- you know lyrically it's not the best song um she's got a license to kill to kill and you know i'm going straight for your heart like well that's not very nice like why, if you're in love with the person, but you're going to kill them. Um, so, yeah, lyrically, ignore that. The song is fantastic. I love it. Um, and it's it's certainly uh, one of the longest. I believe it might actually be the longest Bond song because um, it's a very modified version of the film if you actually listen to the actual one. Um, it was originally, I think, Eric Clapton, I believe, was meant to do it. I think they composed the song for uh, the film, but then it sort of got rejected. Um, and I think it also, um, in terms of the music itself, it, you know, fits in well with kind of a Bond sound, 
um, which they don't really use in the actual film itself, which is a shame. But, um, yeah, go on, Colin, rip me to shreds. I'm wrong. You're an idiot. This song sucks. Well, no, I'm going to defend the song for one small part here. Um, I think the part you're mentioning is a one part of the song I like. When it starts out, there's like this throwback to gold or not golden eye gold finger here like that part i'm thinking wow this could be a really good song and every time it starts i'm like did i misjudge the song that sounds really bond like and then it gets into the verses and the chorus and it's like it's like some outtake that whitney houston wouldn't even put on one of her b-sides <laughs> i mean it's her blabbering like what before they start singing like what's she doing she's not aha <laughs> you know like that little murmuring thing she does at the start. <laughs> yeah i i mean i really like that that kind of gold finger throwback moment and it, it just barely appears in the song and oh i don't know it's the song again is just so generic so 80s it's another one of those things that if you weren't familiar with the way Bond credits kind of were, you're not going to watch the opening credits of this movie if you're not familiar with Bond and be like, oh, this is one of those Bond movies. I mean, I talked about all the way back in our first episode or whatever that I was familiar with the Bond cliches before I was even familiar with the Bond movies. And I know that this was probably the first Bond movie I ever saw. And I remembered nothing about it when I got into the the regular Bond movies a few years after that because it, it didn't doesn't really have any of the cliches and even that that goes even for the song the song does not sound Bond enough um, the credits I mean I I didn't know that Polaroids would make such a fascinating uh, <laughs> centerpiece for a title sequence. The Olympus OM4TI. I mean, that's a classic camera. It's going to stand the test of time. It's a regular camera. <laughs> this is the thing. I mean, I defended the Living Daylights title sequence because it was like very dated, but in a way that wasn't cheesy. And then this Polaroid thing, it's like that's all they have going on here. I am surprised that Ben didn't point out the very clear nipple shot we saw in there, though. That's <laughs> I was more distracted I, I was watching... by just random Asian woman staring at the camera. Like, there was just, what's the purpose of her? Like, there was nothing else in this. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Ben missed nipples. That's the first on the show. That's that's what we can take away from I was enjoying this. Gladys, all right? Gladys takes over <laughs> me. Gladys takes over Ben. <laughs> he loses himself whenever he hears Gladys Knight in the Pips. Mm-hmm. Is this like some kind of weird, uh, like um, Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde thing or something? Or <laughs> like you, you and Gladys uh, Knight are the same thing? Bond, uh, Bond. I called you Bond. What is wrong with me, Ben? Uh, again, common mistake. Just Gladys. Do you want to read the uh, the trivia that you found on the uh, license to kill the one part of the license to kill song that's actually any good? Well, yeah, you mentioned about Goldfinger. Uh, apparently, according to what I'm reading here. Um, it, yeah, the, the opening bit was based on the horn line from Goldfinger and apparently required to pay royalties to the original writers of Goldfinger um, for using it. So, yeah, you're, you're spot on there in terms of it's a massive homage to Goldfinger because it's the same bloody horn line. Yes, well, um, <laughs> that still doesn't make it better. <laughs> Ooh, baby! Uh- Ah! <laughs> oh, <damn. laughs> Got a last in the beaker. 
When a beaker from the Muppets <laughs> drops into the song. I would rather listen to the Muppets do license Mena, to Mena. kill. License to kill. <laughs> Can we move on uh, from this intro, please? Um, all right. So after that, we've got um, Bond and Felix at the wedding. Uh, we've got... Della, who seems more in love with Bond than yes. she does with uh, Felix, uh, the person she just married. Uh, she seems very infatuated with Bond. Um, we've got Sanchez being captured and he's taken away, like, classic 80s, like, cop uh, film, like, we're going to take you or put you away, Sanchez. Like, um, <laughs> then he's in the car, the cop car, and... <laughs> this plan, uh, which I think is it Ed Killifer who undergoes the plan to get Sanchez away, um, possibly one of the dumbest plans which could have resulted in the death of everyone in that car. <laughs> the plan was to uh, like make the car go off the edge of the freeway into the water and then they would escape from there, which um, not the most thought thought out plan because that could have ended with all of them drowning um but um there's a lot here that's just at the wedding uh bond gets a lighter uh genuine a genuine felix, felix light <laughs> <laughs> which we were missing that there like if this was roger moore when he got that lighter oh a genuine felix light <laughs> come on dalton too serious um a genuine felix lighter <laughs> we get a nice line of he was married once, but it was a long time ago. Aww. Yeah, and you weren't at the wedding, Felix. Um, <laughs> we learn that Sanchez and Killifer are working together because he's going to get a lot of money out of Sanchez. And then Felix and Della are captured by Sanchez and Dario. I think I'm pronouncing that right. Mario, Dario, Dario, um, Dario. Dario um, Captured and he put onto this hook. Uh, it seems like I'm skipping a lot here. You but are going over a lot here. <laughs> this is literally all within minutes, though. It's we're at the wedding. All right, we're gone, and now they're getting captured straight after. Um, and then they're here. So um, uh, Felix is captured, and he says, "Killing me won't do anything." And what did you do with Della? And we have possibly the most. <laughs> baffling dialogue in the history of James Bond. The delivery of this, I still, after all these years, cannot understand. Don't worry. We gave her a nice honeymoon! (laughs) Which I I don't understand um, at all what was happening with that line. Um, I was still baffled about it, and I don't know if he was directed to do that or if old... uh, uh, Benicio del Toro, I think that's his name, isn't it? Um, yes. <laughs> just went off and did his own thing. Is he related to Guillermo? Um, no. Um, no more than any Smith in America is related to each <laughs> other. They're fairly common. Eh? Uh, both in the Hollywood business, both called del Toro. Um, <laughs> um, so we gave her a nice honeymoon. <laughs> Felix is then fed to the shark. Oh, no. Poor Felix. Um, they just brought him back. David Henderson, now he's going to die. Um, Bond at the airport and hears about, oh, there's a drug smuggler who escaped. Uh, so he returns to Felix's house and finds that Della is dead. Um, 
she really made a huge impact on the Bond franchise, old Della. Um, and then a note about Felix saying that he disagreed with something that ate him, which we mentioned before, which is a great line. Um, so kind of covered a lot there, but really that's probably only 10 minutes or so of the film, um, 15 minutes. Uh, it is a long film. Um, I kind of like all these earlier scenes. I tend to like the first half of this film better, even though some of the acting here is horrible um but the felix getting fed to the shark is a really memorable scene like that's always been one thing i remembered about this since i was a kid um and disagreed that something that ate him is great and honeymoon uh so all all of that is good kind of setting the story up scenes i find right well that's license to kill ladies and gentlemen we've covered all um (laughs) (laughs) thanks noah (laughs) and just just to point out there noah uh Honeymoon or not, Benicio Del Toro is an Academy Award-winning actor. So you watch your P's and Q's with um, old Dario in this film. After um, this film. Well, no, well, clearly he didn't win it yeah, for this movie. His first nomination was for License to Kill, right? That's <laughs> <laughs> delivery of a line. Uh, um, I, just going back a bit, right to the beginning of the movie, it seems. Um, I love kind of the initial scene with uh, Sanchez and, uh, you know, he's trying to threaten, the, you know, $2 million. And what's the line there? You think you're in some banana republic? <laughs> just the way that's, you know, uh, I love it. It's so good. All that scumbag money won't do you a bit of good here. <laughs> yes. Bit of good. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the, the idea that that's how Benicio Del Toro delivers all of his lines in the entire film. I love how, like, on YouTube there's actually just a clip entitled Benicio Del Toro's Greatest Line Ever, and it's just simply, he gave her a honeymoon. <laughs> what the hell is that one? <laughs> Can we get him on the show just to ask you that one question? Like, we have an esteemed actor on this show, Academy Award winner, multi, you know, <laughs> nominated for countless movies. We've got one question for you, Benicio. What the fuck was with your line in License to Kill? <laughs> really, John Glenn must have been totally jaded by this point and just not care about anything. Um... And yeah, so um, all the, the yeah, I'm glad you mentioned about Della being more in love with Bond. I've written that down here too. Like, has she married the wrong man? <laughs> like, um, and we get the great line, which I know Colin's put in our intro. Um, I'll do anything for a woman with a knife. Um, yeah, we see Pam uh, briefly. Oh. I didn't. We yeah, see, like five seconds. <laughs> we see a CD-ROM. I didn't realize like CD-ROMs were a thing in 1989. I thought they were still using those giant floppy discs back then. So, just like the jet ski and and bloody snowboarding, Bond introducing modern technology. Um, Polaroid cameras. It's one of my favorite. Bond bits doesn't of- do floppy discs. We know that. <laughs> he gets he's not cool enough. One of my favorite bits of this. I'm is never floppy. Sanchez, <laughs> Sanchez has been escorted to the prison van, and you got all the press, <laughs> like asking him all the questions. And there's that one person is like, "Are you really Colombian? Like, why is he asking that question?" And there's one reporter who asked about four times, "Why did you go to the Bahamas?" Why did you come to the Bahamas? <laughs> what is journalists ever? What's your favourite food? <laughs> Who are you wearing tonight? Are you really <laughs> Colombian? I'm going to ask that question next time I interview someone. Are you really Australian? <laughs> um, I just love that. Uh, yeah, the whole breakout scene, like it, it's it's kind of cool, but... 
Yeah, there's just so much with it. Like when the, the bloody thing crashes and you got the two guards who, fair enough, I'm guessing they're thinking, oh, Sanchez is tied up with chains. He's going to drown. But like as soon as it crashes, their first thing is to swim away to the surface. They just happen to ignore the scuba gear people who are just within <laughs> half a meter of them at the same time. And then somehow, whilst they're all swimming to the surface and all these cops are on this bridge, oh, it's all right, all the guards are okay. We've just got like this, you know, Colombian drug lord where we spent all this money on to capture and, you know, took a man out of his wedding. He's just probably dead, but we won't check on him for a while. Let's just assume that. Meanwhile, a submarine has like <laughs> taken him away. <laughs> and what happens if Ed Killer forgets assigned to another job in the meantime? Surely <laughs> yes, the most useful uh, of his time is to not drive with some criminal that's going to jail anyway. <laughs> Um, can I just point out too um, that does anyone get with Ed like real vibes of um, of Jack Lord? Like I'm not like he kind of looks like Jack Lord. Am I the only one who think that? A little bit. Yeah. Missing the cat I heard class. that. I heard that they're related, like Benicio and Guillermo del Toro are. <laughs> Thought so. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, and look, the whole. Um, Felix and, and Della thing. Like, look, Felix and Bond getting married, not a good thing because generally their wife ends up dead on the same day that they're married. Um, I, I, just quick, I did like that little throwaway line about he was married a long time ago. Like, oh, clearly... Always love know, a Tracy reference. Well, clearly Della is very um, in touch with Bond and knows a lot about him. <laughs> if, um, <laughs> yeah, they act so buddy-buddy. Surely that's one thing that she would know. Like, uh, where was like, I know, Felix! <laughs> you always harass me and tell me things <laughs> that I know. And Felix with the shark and he's on the hook. See you in hell! <laughs> I like to think that Felix would go to heaven. Um, and I don't know after Collinsburg if we want to touch on Sanchez, but look, I just love Prick Sanchez. He's such a you know, like you know, he's lying there. It's nothing personal. It's purely business. Like you know, what a what a prick. Like he's, oh, I love him. I love Sanchez so much. And um, yes, the the woman behind the counter, smoking or non-smoking, your ticket. <laughs> like, oh well, he's off. I love how Bond automatically assumes the one drug lord that could have escaped is definitely Sanchez. In Miami. And it is <laughs> <Yeah>. Miami. <right? laughs> There's only one there, really. Yes. <laughs> and um uh, the one the, the one bit you talk about cringe with line honeymoon, I hate the like that always makes me cringe when Dalton walks in the room and sees her and and he's like, Dilla! Just the way he says it. Dilla! Dilla! I just imagined all the outtakes. Timothy, can you do it one more time? Mix it up a bit. You didn't even get to go on your honeymoon. But yeah, um, yes, I've covered it up. I've covered it. Are you really Colombian? And. <laughs> oh, um, I, I, I didn't realize that I was going to be the one doing this, but am I the only one who's a fan of Della? <laughs> I like Della. I, I'm nothing against Della. Are we talking Della's... about the character or the delivery of that one? <laughs> Della. Well, um... <laughs> no, but I think that Della's the only 
character in this movie who seems to have any life. I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a serious. <laughs> oh, that is that. a cruel joke, Colin. <laughs> cruel joke. Rub it in. Had life. Had. <laughs> had life. That's right. Della is but, dead. All right. Dead. She died on her wedding night. Oh, she's in heaven with Tracy now. Oh, <laughs> heaven. The dead, the dead wives club. Um, dead wives club. That's a coming spinner. soon to theaters near you. <laughs> Della's dead wife. No, I actually really like Della. I, I just I feel like this is again where where Dalton drops the ball a little bit because I just don't know what it is. We're two movies in, and the one element of bond that he just does not know how to nail is how to nail a woman. Let's <laughs> just say it that way. Um, he has is that a book? zero. <laughs> He has zero chemistry with any actress in either of these movies. And there are plenty of opportunities. Like, Della's flirting like crazy. And it's not even in an inappropriate way. Like, you get that this is the way that people, women are supposed to be with Bond. And Dalton just does nothing with it. There are plenty of opportunities where Dalton could have followed the script and maybe just raised an eyebrow really quickly or given her a look. And he just does none of that. Uh, she's really good in this, though. I, I wish that... Uh, you know, Della had lasted a little bit longer in the movie. Della! <laughs> was she pushing for a threesome? She probably was. She wanted a threesome on her wedding night. <laughs> Poor oh, Felix couldn't keep up. He would have had a heart attack. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I like Della the Tracy reference. <laughs> <laughs> it's always good to have a Tracy reference. Uh, we talked about that in Fear Eyes Only. It does hurt the movie a little bit here, though. Because, again, like, they're doing a movie that is so far removed from Bond, and they, they make a point to mention something that happened in a past Bond movie. But if you are a fan of Bond at this point, you're wondering why Bond is suddenly more upset at Della's death than he was at Tracy. Like, I just wanted him, when he comes in and finds the body, or, or even finds Felix with a note on him, it's all right, he's just having a rest. Like, <laughs> why is his reaction to burst into tears for Felix and Della, like... Are their rock band nights that good that it, it tops the, the the death of his own wife on their wedding day? Just, just re it on Imagine yeah. Secret Service and be Tracy! Yeah, Tracy! <laughs> um, but yeah, it just it bothers me how upset he gets. And that's part of the problem with the plot here is that Bond goes on this revenge mission. Yeah, we even talked about in Diamonds Are Forever. He, he waited to be assigned the mission to take out Blofeld. It wasn't like he went rogue, even if that would have made a better movie. But just, we don't know Dell as a character. We barely know Felix as a character, despite him being in all of the movies or a Does good it chunk hurt of it, that he's not been in a lot of the movies. Like he was obviously in Living Daylight for one scene. Oh, but does it yeah. hurt the story if when yeah, we're absolutely. in order? I agree with that. Like if if you're if you're looking at any movies or any franchise, let's take even the Fast and the Furious movies. I mean, if you're bringing back a character that was in the second movie, do you think anybody who's watching the seventh is going to know or care? Probably not. Um, There's different characters that are just life. like Vin Diesel and The Rock, and I don't. I've seen like one of them. <laughs> yeah, um, you always bring yeah, up Fast and the Furious movies, <laughs> Colin. I think you well, and I host a different podcast. No, I the I the funny thing is I hate the Fast and the Furious movies. It's just, it's, it's just that those are like the that's the thing that Bond competes with now, you know. So really, oh well, if you look at box office gross, Bond probably will have trouble keeping up to Fast. Oh, and I, Furious. I can't wait to the um, Spectre sequel, which sees Bond having to steal hot cars and like drive them 
between like gangsters. Um, Sounds like we're probably already got a Bond film with that. Here's the the thing: the Felix death is one of the best scenes in the movie. Even if Edison is way overacting in it, uh, I love the the Felix for lunch scene. Um, it is very sadistic. It's one of the moments. I'm not a big Sanchez fan, but it's one of the moments that I think really sells how dangerous Sanchez is a villain. The honeymoon line is so awkward, but it is in a way like it's so strangely memorable. Everybody knows of it, and uh, yeah, I, I we we really have to hear Benicio del Toro say that at some point when he's in Star Wars Episode Eight next year. Um, he's turned into this massive villain. We just need him to come back with his original villain line. What did you do he, with Han and Leia? I gave them a nice honeymoon. Honeymoon. Leia, Leia. They go into uh, Alderaan. <laughs> oh wait, am I? Wait, Leia. everybody in Alderaan dead too. <laughs> the only characters in Star Wars who had life in them were the characters on Alderaan. <laughs> <laughs> had been the operative word there. Uh, <laughs> There's only one other thing. How bad is the the law enforcement in this film that they found Felix's body uh, with a note pinned to it saying, <laughs> what's the line? It disagreed with something they ate him. Like, must have been a chainsaw. <laughs> a chainsaw <laughs> ate the man? Like, chainsaw why did they my ass. The they, they left a note with a bad pun. And they're like, hmm, looks like chainsaw to me. That explains why it's something... And, and is this the same police uh, that Goldfinger? Is this the same police Goldfinger's terrified of? The Miami police? Yeah, the, the Miami, Miami Beach police. police. <laughs> yeah, this yeah. is where you need the uh, David Caruso to come in. Uh, he disagreed with something he ate him. Must be a chainsaw. Chainsaw. <laughs> <laughs> and also, we talked about last time we were in Miami. Where is Honey? Shouldn't she be at the uh, at the wedding? Because she was friends with Felix too. Honey's like eighty oh. by now. And where's Dink? Yeah. Dink was in love with Felix. Is Dink Della? Della is Dink. Della Dink. 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 Yeah, that that's her first name. That's Dink's first name. Della Dink. Dink. There's so many puns in there. Yes, she really is. D D. Dink. Yeah, Della, Della Dink. Dink later. <laughs> Della Dink Lighter. <laughs> we finally oh, a saw genuine Dink Lighter. <laughs> we finally saw Dink and Felix get together. We've solved the mystery of Goldfinger now too. Della Dink Lighter. Their first wedding dance was underneath the mango tree. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad we figured out who the mystery of Dink then. Um, <laughs> and she's of dead. Dink. Della Della Dink is dead. Um, all right. Let's before we move on too much in the plot. Let's just talk about some of the characters because pretty much all the characters are introduced uh, pretty much straight away. We'll leave Pam for a bit because it just blows my mind why they put a five second clip of Pam in this film. Like, was that accidentally left in the editing? Um, I, but, I can see why. I, I think there's a reason for that. I'd love to hear that when we get to Pam. Um, as for Let's talk about Sanchez, Sanchez, and we may as well also talk about uh, Guillermo, Dario, um, Dario, Dario, I forget, Dario, I'm just going to call him Dario. Um, Do you? It's like Mario and Dario got together or something. Um, <laughs> the combination. <laughs> no, that's a film that I want to see. That's a me, a Dario. <laughs> Is that a name, Dario, that, that Kristen girl? Gotta get off. 
Yeah, D- Daria is so Kristen, but anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sanchez. <laughs> I think, hello, Kristen. Uh, I think you play volleyball now. <laughs> Sanchez is okay, I think. Um, th- there are definitely some times, Colin pointed out, where really sadistic, like chucking him in a shark pool. Um, but at the same time, he's just. A drug smuggler out of infamous city. Um, like, he's just so stereotypical. Like, they went the 80s action movie route. Surely they could have done a twist with an interesting villain. Um, he's not interesting in the slightest. But oh. th- there's definitely some badass moments of Sanchez that I do like. And I love watching him with, like, a big machete, meat cleaver type thing. Uh, that's cool. So... He is a capable villain. At least he can do action. Unlike, like, did we ever see Carl Stromberg get into the action? Not that his character was meant to, but still. Um, and he's definitely commanding, and you can view him as this, like, drug lord. Um, but he just falls flat a lot of the time, and he's not really interesting. That's my big problem. There's no interesting part of the character, really. Um, as for Dario, I mean, he's okay as a henchman, like, He's more memorable than a lot of other henchmen of this era, and at least we didn't get another blonde-haired, tall, like Hans uh, Grant-type henchman. But he, again, he's just like in the grand scheme of Bond, is Dario like breakout top ten henchman? No. Um, so he delivers his lines weirdly. He has some cool action scenes. I like his final scene against Bond. That's kind of cool. And you do view him as someone who would be a henchman to Sanchez. It's not just a random like guy who doesn't even fit with who Sanchez is. Um, so you definitely view them together. But again, he's just not that memorable or not that interesting. So overall, in the grand scheme of Bond, I don't think they're the worst. Uh, they're both capable and okay, but definitely, definitely not one of my favorite henchmen slash main villains. We talked a lot about in Live and Let Die about kind of the plot line of that essentially just being, you know, this whole drug running um, plot with obviously other elements to it. But I mean, you know, it's similar in this. It's it's essentially the plot borders down to wanting to control the drugs in the world. And I think the difference here is that, you know, Kananga, yeah, okay, he was what a prime minister of a small nation who liked to dress up as a fat person in a weird suit at the same time. But, like, the difference here, Sanchez, oh, no, he's... When we do a villain's ranking or whatever, he he by far makes my top five. He is just... (laughs) Top five? (laughs) Yes, he's he's honest to God, like, just one of the best villains of all time. He, I think Colin summed it up by saying he's dangerous. Like, I don't know why you're saying there's elements to it. He's constantly dangerous. Like, this is a guy you do not want to cross. And, you know, he, he's able to control governments. He can basically, you know, he's paying off presidents. Well, and the, and, the Prime Minister of San Monique doesn't control his government? Well, you know, he relies on a virgin <laughs> who tells the future to basically tell him what to do. Like, I mean, that's kind of his, his niche. Like, that's what he does. Sanchez, you know... He, well, Dario he, might tell the future. Well, he's probably not a virgin. <laughs> I don't want to see that scene where Dalton takes Dario's <laughs> Now we can go on a honeymoon. <laughs> Time to take your virginity. <laughs> virginity. Um, but he's just, 
just the he, the control that he has, and like you know, we had that earlier um, with the line, like it's down there, it's Sanchez's law. Like you know, there's just all these elements, and the fact that Bond has to infiltrate his organization to try and get close to him. Like I, I just see him if you were to sort of go over each villain in each um, film in terms of the control and the level of power that they have. Um, he's up there. Like, yeah, he doesn't have an over-the-top, world-dominating plan, but it's, it's you know, a more, I guess you could say, realistic goal that he has as something that, you know, this was based off what, what's his name, Escobar, the the real drug... Pablo Escobar. Pablo Escobar, thank you. <laughs> Escobar, the real drugs. <laughs> the real drugs. And, like, Robert Darby, this guy, yeah, he's... pretty good. He's an incredible actor. I mean, he, um, apparently, they did a lot of screen tests with him as Bond. I think it was actually with Carrie Lau. Lau, is that how you say it? Pam Bouvier, like, in screen Carrie test. Lau. <laughs> Very Australian way I said that. Um, Lowell, he, I think, is the pronunciation. He, he, played the, he played Bond, and apparently the, um, the producer... Producers were very impressed with him as Bond. Um, and sort of, you know, he's gone on to big things and apparently he's got his own Vegas show now. He released an album within the last couple of years singing Frank Sinatra songs. So, um, Duets with Wayne Newton. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bless your heart. Um, but, yeah, I just, oh, I love him. I love the character. I love the actor. He's got that evil thing. Like, he doesn't have a cat. He has a, what, a, a lizard thing? Like, what is that? An iguana. An iguana. <laughs> like, a fake iguana. He's sitting on his shoulder feeding him, like, a cracker or something like that. Like, to me, that's more evil Ooh. than a freaking white kitty cat. Like, if I'm seeing a bald guy stroking a cat, I'm thinking, you're a little bit light in the loafers, mate. Like, if this guy's got a fucking iguana... Like, oh, don't cross him. Like, that's a scaly, <laughs> ugly-looking thing. Like, you know, it's Dominic Green, basically, on his shoulder. But, like, it's... Yeah. <laughs> it's... <laughs> oh, God, uh, no, I love him to bits. And as for Dario, uh, you look, you know, I'm not too fussed on Dario. Like, yeah, I agree with you, Noah. Like, in the grand scheme of Bond villains, like, you know, he's not going to be ranking up there highly. He's a he's an okay villain. Um, but... You know, he's not the best. Uh, we'll start with Sanchez. Uh, I do like Sanchez. I don't love Sanchez. Uh, I think that there are some issues with him. He could have gone down as a great villain. I think he needed a little bit more eccentricity. I don't think the iguana really works. It's <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of just that moment where you're watching the movie and you're starting to feel like, you know what, there's just not a real quirk here with this this villain. I want... You know, something like the the scar from Blofeld or the third nipple from Scaramanga. And they're like, I know what we'll do. We'll put an iguana on his shoulder. <laughs> like there's really no logic to it it's whatsoever. Like green just... paper masher is stuck to his arm. Iguana! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> iguana! <laughs> so, but is it real? I, I'm gonna... like, I couldn't tell if it was real because it looked incredibly fake in some scenes. Yeah, I just think iguanas don't move a lot. I remember watching an iguana for a week once, and like they could just <laughs> Wait, be still in one spot. Is that all you did? Well, <laughs> Jamie was, was away that week. I remember that iguana. time when I watched an iguana for a week. On the <laughs> I iguana didn't watch it. I wasn't sitting there like my eyes pinned open. I gotta watch it. Six more days to go. No. Uh, I was babysitting plans. an iguana for somebody. <laughs> you were babysitting an iguana. <laughs> Like somebody went away for a week and they Someone were like, was just you... going on a holiday to Eastmas City and you had to babysit an iguana. Oh, That's or, right. when hey, they're Colin, when they're you look after this... my pet Iggy Iguana? <laughs> How many of iguanas have you guys watched, okay? <laughs> Let me tell my story. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, iguanas just don't move much. But the iguana That's is kind of ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> they don't move. I let him tell his story. It's interesting. <laughs> let me tell my story. They don't move. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I watched it for a week and discovered it didn't move. <laughs> That's all there was to it. <laughs> Anyways. Really lacking the, the romance in that story. <laughs> <laughs> the iguana is kind of ridiculous on his shoulder. I don't really think that sells him as a menacing villain. Um I, I do like Robert Davi. I he, again, this is one of those areas where I kind of have mixed feelings because he was such an obvious casting choice to pick him for a villain. And there are moments where he's really good in this movie. There's also moments where he's kind of really too over the top, almost laughable. Uh, but this is like one of the villains from the Goonies. He was you know, the, the shady FBI agent in Die Hard. It was like they said. Who's that guy who's a villain in all the other 80s action movies right now? Robert Davi, let's get him. Um, I have to say, coming out of all three of those movies, you take the Goonies, Die Hard, and this, I remember him more from the Goonies and Die Hard than I do License to Kill. Uh, I think that his, he had a more interesting character in those. I thought his performance was a little bit more subtle. What I do like is that he really threw himself completely into this character. I mean, every moment he's on screen, he's trying to be a Goldfinger. He he wants to steal every scene he's in, and uh, he's competitive. You could tell, like, even as, there's a lot of behind the scenes stories about how intense he was on set and how into his character he got, and it really does show on the screen because, like, you could tell he wanted this to be his movie, but. I'll, I'll get more into it later. There are elements of this story that make him arguably one of the dumbest Bond villains ever as far as intellect goes. And that's where I think there's the separation. Kananga is a way better villain because Kananga was a smart villain. Kananga was intelligent. Um, Kananga had better quirks. And I think Yafit Koto was a much better actor than Robert Davi. Uh, I think if you're comparing these two, even the whole plot with Kananga's drug smuggling was a lot more interesting than this one here. He was using you know, this fear of a voodoo curse on an island, uh, his own island that he was prime minister of, versus we're going to go through some televangelist. You know, it's, there, there's elements of, uh, of Sanchez that works and elements that don't. Dario, it's interesting because I think he's a decent henchman. We're coming off of the 80s where the henchman really did take a backseat. And he's a slightly more memorable than some of the earlier ones. I don't really think that uh, he's like an all-time great henchman. But it does always bother me that he gets mentioned as a top henchman so often. Because he's kind of insignificant. You could argue that Truman Lodge has more screen time in this movie than Dario does. And is more integral to the plot. So I was watching this movie kind of being annoyed because I always hear people say Dario is such a great henchman. And it's kind of like I complained with Max Zorin when, when we were doing A View to a Kill that because it's Christopher Walken playing him, people think that automatically makes him the greatest. And because this is Benicio Del Toro, people were like, well, that he was a henchman. He's the best henchman. But then it got close to the, to the end of the movie. And I'm watching this with my wife, Jamie, and she's pointing out Dario. And she's like, this guy's probably the only character in the movie I really like. And I'm like, what? Like, he's, he's barely said anything. It's like, yeah, but he's just really intense somehow. And I kind of saw what she was saying there. I, I think that you could also walk in this movie and have the opposite effect where you're expecting Benicio Del Toro to do something so big and you just assume, well, this is too small of a role for him. He really does sell that intensity, I think, throughout the movie 
more consistently than Sanchez does. Uh, is he a great henchman? No, but I think that he's probably one of the better henchmen we've seen in a while. Uh, between the two of them, I, I said this at the the end of the last episode with Living Daylights, I think the villains are decent in this movie. Not great, but decent. And I would probably be more interested in watching a movie revolving around Sanchez's organization than I would a, a movie about Bond on a revenge mission, to be honest. All right. That's uh, two of the main villains uh, of this film. Let's move on a bit with the plot now here. Um, so we pick back up with Felix in hospital, and I've written some of this wonderful dialogue uh, from this film. And I will point out, this was written by Richard Maybaum and uh, Michael Wilson. <laughs> some of the lines in this film, I love, Doctor, I wish I could be more hopeful, but we'll have to wait and see. And then Sharky. <laughs> Chainsaw my ass. I know a shark bite when I see one. Uh, so there's some great licenses to dialogue for you. Um, which let's just talk about Sharky now. <laughs> oh, do we have to? Sharky. Who? Why? What? Um, yeah, I think my theory on this is Quarrel was in the Live and Let Die novel, and this is pretty much Live and Let Die for a big part of it. So I assume that Quarrel's dead and they didn't want to bring back Quarrel Jr. So um, I guess we've got Sharky as the Quarrel of Quarrel the third? Yeah. Quarrel Jr. Jr. This is the film where Felix gets eaten by a shark and he's called Sharky. Um, does he study sharks? Um, <laughs> how did he well, and he knows Felix a shark bite eat? when he sees one. Yeah, um, is he a CIA agent? I don't think so. Um, okay. Yeah, I think Sharky had potential, but he really falls flat in my opinion. He, there are some scenes he's okay, but the actor is just really not that good. Um, and it's just, yeah, there's this guy called Sharky. He's friends with Felix. He's helping Bond. He's dead. Um so I'm not a huge Sharky fan. He's better than some of the allies we've had. He's better than Saunders, that's for sure. But, yeah, Chainsaw My Ass, um, not a huge Sharky fan. I just don't understand the character. The way you said it a second ago when you were like, he's Sharky, he's Francis Felix. It reminds me of, like, <laughs> Bond in Moonraker. His name's Jaws. He kills people. It's like, <laughs> his name's Sharky. He's Francis Felix. He's Francis Felix. <laughs> <laughs> um... Yeah, I really nothing Sharky, you know. He's <laughs> he's there and he helps Della do do laps around and doesn't Sharky. want to doesn't want to um doesn't want to have to say that they're late and then he kind of looks like he wants to be corrupt when um you know, Killifer's like, There's two million dollars in that case, I'll split it with you. He's kind of like looking like he wants to do it, so don't know how reliable Sharky is, um, but yeah, I, I don't really have much to add. He's he's Sharky, and he's friends with Felix. Um, the only reason I could figure that uh, Sharky's in this movie is again the actor uh, who plays him, Frank McRae. You look at his IMDb page, and he's another one of those guys who was just in a lot of '80s action stuff. Um, and, and funny enough, I recognize him. I always forget that Sharky's even in this movie. And every time I watch it, I'm like, that's that guy who was in that thing. And I'm struggling to think about it. But 
Like you look at he was in Rocky Two, uh, Forty Eight Hours. Was he playing Rocky Two? He plays the guy who runs the meat packing plant that fires Rocky. Oh, really? Of course. He was in Red Dawn, um, Lock Up, another Sylvester Stallone movie. Like these are all movies that I remember. What my brother was a big Sylvester Stallone fan, so I remember seeing all these movies. And he did another movie called The Wizard, which I don't know if you guys are familiar with. It was like the Nintendo sponsored yeah. movie about a kid at a video game tournament. Has he lost Action played... Hero? Oh, sorry, I'm just yeah. reading. sorry to interrupt. He he played a character in The Wizard, which again another great movie from when I was a kid. About which is basically a Nintendo commercial. A character named Spanky, and I remember him from that too. <laughs> Spanky was of course the brother of Sharky. Uh, <laughs> both those movies came out the same year. <laughs> Spanky and Sharky. He also used to I'm play for the not... Chicago Bears in the NFL, apparently, too. Well, I'm surprised he's not he's more famous Spanky. in Australia. Cause... He likes Spanks. <laughs> he was also in Lightning Jack with Paul Hogan. You Australians oh, are supposed Lightning to know. Lightning Jack, film. yes! That's a good film. That's not a film. It's just, let's put another recognizable face from 80s action movies in here. And his character, I mean, look at the size of this guy. You want him to be a beast and rip somebody's head off it's funny when i look through his imdb page and i remember oh yeah i remember him in you know rocky i remember him in the wizard Lightning i'm always Jack. remembering him playing kind of these big guys who are lovable characters the last thing that license to kill needs is the lovable big bear from the wizard and rocky too <laughs> you want a guy who's going out there and like mutilating people in He's taking a big bite out of Dario's leg. Like, this is for Felix. And he just bites Dario's <laughs> arm off or something. There's so much potential for Sharky to really be a, a sadistic ally. And it just falls flat here. You're really turning him to quarrel like he's just going to get stabbed. Can I break your arm? <laughs> you, want me to, you want me to bite his arm off? <laughs> Why is he Sharky, though? Like, is he related to jaw? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> he owns a boat, apparently. Um... So just like Coral, yeah, Coral Junior <laughs> and Spanky, <laughs> <laughs> Spanky, Spanky, the SS Spanky. Um, so, so, yeah, so they Sanchez has vanished, um, and they have to investigate, and they find out about Milton Crest. Um, so they go to what is it like the warehouse where Sanchez and Killifer have been. Um, they let Bond in and he finds um, that, oh, we're not hunting sharks. And then <laughs> off to the side, Shark Hunter 3. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the, the people who made this like submarine branded it as Shark Hunter. Like, oh! And I'm like, uh, sweep that under the rug. Um, oh, yes, we're just selling the Shark Hunter, but we haven't caught sharks in years. We're a, um, a documentary series. We're the prequel to the Crocodile Hunter. Crocky yeah. sharks. <laughs> it's just Shark Hunter Three is the name of the thing that catches sharks. Um, and then later that night, Bond and Sharky slash Spanky return, like Spanky Hunter Three, um, and they try and sneak into the lair. And then when it always baffles me when Bond tries to get in, and like the shark pops up over like the great thing, like. So it's supposed to be a trap or something? Like, I've just never understood that. Uh, Bond sneaking around and he finds drugs hidden in maggots. Um, and then bad guys the come. That's way to do it, really. <laughs> I hide all my drugs in my maggots. Um, I watched maggots for a week, actually. Um, 
<laughs> yeah, my friend had a pet maggot he wanted me to watch for a week. Then let me finish my story. Um, <laughs> uh, and then throws maggots in the face of a random guy. Uh, and then some more fights. Some kind of cool action here, I guess. Death by electric eel. That's kind of cool. Um, then Bon is cornered by Killifer. And Killifer is now... I was trying to think of a pun that had to do with kill, but I'm not fast enough. Um he became the killer for, I don't know. Uh, and he's. Licensed to killer for? Licensed to killer for, there you go. Killifer. Got it. <laughs> killer for is killed um, by the shark. So technically, he's already got half of his revenge so far, Bond. Um, and then, they, as I think one of you mentioned, they throw the money out, and Spanky is not too happy about it, but. Um, whatever but you'd think because bond takes the money later on doesn't he so why is he not eager to take two million dollars right now like surely there's a way to get rid of killifer without throwing money into a shark pool um because he earned it he keeps it uh, oh buddy (laughs) killifer really did not appear in much of this film did he um but bond is on his way to revenge um so after the killifer is killiferd, um, Bond is taken to Hemingway House, I think it is, which for some reason is full of cats everywhere. <laughs> like I don't know. Ben's uh, a cat guy. Yeah. Well, well, Ben, uh, you can speak for this, but maybe this was promotion for the musical Cats or something. Because <laughs> um, there were cats everywhere. Memory. Uh, <laughs> yeah, M's a big musical fan. Um, All alone in the sorry. So Bond, Bond and M, well M's there. If we didn't mention that in the Hemingway house, he's shown all the way up to Miami. Bond and M are debating um, about Felix and Bond was supposed to be in Istanbul because uh, Karen Bay Junior is waiting for him. Um, <laughs> apparently. Um, and Bond says, well, you have my resignation because I'm going to go after Felix. And then we get, we're not a country club, 007, <laughs> that famous line. Um, which it's like to really fit with the whole 80s kind of thing, they really needed like an American M. And you're off the case, Bond. Like, that's what the oh, scene is. Yeah, that's basically what Give it is. Give me a badge. But it's so too British for that that they have to say, we're not a country club rather than, you're off the case, Bond. Um, so Bond's license to kill is revoked or his license revoked, if you will. Then we get Bond kicking M. <laughs> Something I don't think I ever thought I would see. Um, Wouldn't kick Dame so, Judy. Well, yeah, Maybe. Dalton might. Um, so, yeah, Bond kicks M <laughs> and escapes from the house, still with his gun. He doesn't have to retire it. And it's not a country club, 007. And he's off fully on his revenge for the first time. We've got James Bond on a rogue mission, which, uh, before you go, Ben, I would just say, I think it was a good idea. We've been, what, I think this is like the 15th, 16th film that, it's probably about time that they did mix it up with having Bond as a rogue agent. But at the same time, they probably could have done it better. But I think it was probably a good idea to at least mix the formula up a little bit. I guess at the time, I mean, this, as you said, it's the first time it's happened. I mean, we're sort of used to this now, aren't we? I mean, you know, Die Another Day, Quantum of the Solace, you know, it's, it's kind of there. We get it. We're used to it. But, um, 
Yeah, like I, I kind of going back to when Colin said about, um, you know, doing this for Felix, somebody who's you know not in it a whole lot. Like I get that, but I, I, I can't. I just, this is part of what I like about this film to kind of think that Bond has to take revenge on someone who he's close to. Now he doesn't have a wife because <laughs> Tracy's dead. Yeah, probably his only friend. Yeah, like like the one. fact that Bond has an absolute friend that he feels the need to do this to. Like he's not going to do this for the death of Quarrel. He didn't. He's still burning. Um, like, <laughs> he's dying out there. Yeah, I want to see the license to kill Quarrel film. Um, and this is just kind of the thing I like. Like you, you feel like Bond has to have that ultimate ally. And yeah, okay, Felix kind of is sporadic in his appearances, but I guess you know he appears in enough films to really point out that he is Bond's friend. So you feel like Bond is going to do this to to seek revenge. Um, but kind of, yeah, going back to the whole um, scenes there with, um, you know, the shark hunter and everything. What is he? I can't, can't pronounce it when he does the actual scientific name for a great white shark. Who for a caracodon cacaris or whatever it is. <laughs> great white shark. Like, that is not a great white shark, by the way, in that tank. Can I just point that out? Like, no, that is not a great white shark. Um but I, I love, like, the scene when he throws the maggots in the guy's face. Um, it just it reminds me of the thriller film clip where they zoom in on Michael Jackson's face and they have the really cheesy 80s special effects of the whiskers, like, emerging from a wax head model. Like, they zoom in on this guy's head. <laughs> like, they've clearly gone, okay, uh, John, in three seconds, we're going to throw these in your face. Um, react like they've hurt you. So, and he's just like, ah. Like, this looks like a scene I used to film in Kill Phil when I was in college. Those um, maggots look like tasty gummy worms. <laughs> yes. Um, and I love the fact that you have, warning, electric eel. <laughs> 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 what is this, like an Inspector Gadget cartoon? Like, like This is like Dr. No, where everything's labeled cup holder, electric eel tank. <laughs> like, is there a sign on the tank? Warning, great white shark. Two million dollars <laughs> inside. Um, I did, yeah, I mentioned the line, you urge it, you keep it, old buddy. But then I love the line there from Sharky, what a terrible waste of money. Um, <laughs> um, but I I really like this scene with M and the sort of, you know, your license to kill has been revoked and, you know, this isn't a country club. Like, it's a good setup and this is like perfect for Bond to turn rogue. Yeah, okay, he kicks poor old M and... Um, <laughs> And we never see Bernard Lee as M again. No. Robert Brown. (laughs) Broken, broken... Oh, yeah. (laughs) Wow. No. (laughs) Broken back, Robert Brown. I was going to say, maybe we need to take this opportunity, Sue, to, you know, eulogise the iconic Robert Brown. Bernard Lee. Lee. We need to edit that back over. I'll I'll record it later. Uh, Robert Brown, when I screwed up. <laughs> just, just a note, Noel, you do know that in GoldenEye, it's uh, Judy Dench, right? <laughs> Judy Dench. <laughs> now we can edit that in whenever I Rafe call Judy Dench, Fiennes. Bernard Lee. <laughs> but it's, it's just an interesting Spanky. setup. And, um, you know, it's really this opportunity is kind of going right back to what you said at the beginning there is like... Um, you know, this is it. This is the first time Bond's, 
you know, going to be on his own and we, we get to see what he's like. And, you know, the, the scene when he jumps down and runs through the, the forest and they're about to start shooting at him, like, I guess he's just kicked and knocked out a couple of agents, so it's fair game. Let's just shoot one of our own before uh, dear old Bernard, I mean, uh, Gordon, uh, steps in. Robert, Gordon Brown's a prime Gordon. minister of England. <laughs> Gordon. Wow. We really don't remember Robert Brown, do we? We have no idea who this guy Gordon, is. Gordon Lee. <laughs> Judy Fines. Um, and uh, what's his line? God help you, Commander. Uh, it's like, you're really doing good as a boss. Up. Like, you're a great boss. Exactly. Typical British, give up. Like, we saw this earlier on. Oh, well, if they threaten the world and we can't find it, we'll just pay the ransom. It's hot out, all right? This is Miami. I'm not going out. We've just, we're so fed up with Bond. He's going on a vendetta. He's got to be in Istanbul. But he ran away, so we'll just let him go. Take me to the country club, Gordon. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, sort of, yeah, going back to it, I enjoy this setup. I enjoy the fact that Bond's kind of avenging his friend and Della! Um, so yeah, we're, we're about to get into that right now, but, um, really this is, this is Bond on his own now. Bond's had it revoked. Hashtag actually called License to Kill. Hashtag dumb American. (laughs) Spelt with a C, not an S. Um, okay. I'm going to start with Killifer. Again, this is where the movie kind of dropped the ball again, because, this was this should have been Bond's revenge mission. You know, obviously you want to get Sanchez and everything, but the only reason that this should be taken personally is because one of Felix's allies, one of Felix's co-workers sold him out, and that's why Felix is in the shape is and that's why Dell is dead. So why is he gonna be the first one you kill off and almost have a blink as you miss it moment? This movie should have had Killiford is kind of just tagging along for the entire movie and he's wherever bond is he's always kind of running and he's cowardly and he's out of there and then right before you know you obviously say sanchez for last but then right before he kills sanchez you have a showdown moment where he's like this is for felix and he lets spanky bite his leg off or something you know um (laughs) just a real moment where you you sell the importance of this is the guy that sold out felix because I think the killer would have been a much more interesting henchman throughout this movie than Truman Lodge or Milton Crest. Um, overall, the sequence, the whole uh, the maggots, the electric eel stuff, it's it's cool. It's again, this is it's standard eighties action. It's probably slightly above your generic eighties action movie. It's not quite at a diehard lethal weapon level. There are going to be some sequences later on that are strong. This isn't one of the best sequences. This is not Hall of Fame. The M scene, I think, is very good. Uh, it is, again, just your typical, give me your badge and your gun. You're off the case, Bond. <laughs> but the country club line does bring some elegance. So pretty. Here's the, well, this is the problem I have, though. I already said at the beginning how if you didn't notice them call him James Bond at any point, which I'm not even sure the whole name James Bond has been mentioned here, and you had never seen Timothy Dalton in License or Living Daylights, you don't know this is a Bond movie. Here you have M show up and they even have like a big reveal. And I didn't even feel like even being a huge Bond fan and coming off all the prior movies and seeing this many times, I still wasn't feeling like, oh, this is a Bond movie again. It's really not until you see Q and Moneypenny later on that you even can recognize this as a Bond movie. I think you have M showing up here. This was the moment where, you know, the diehard fans, you should be like, oh, that's M. Maybe it's just because Robert Brown still hasn't been sold in the role. Who knows? But... Uh, yeah, I think Gordon that that, 
What's that? Gordon Dench. Gordon Dench, yes. <laughs> Gordon Dench would have made a great Dench. <laughs> And leave it to um, Carolyn Bliss to save this and make it a Bond movie. It is, that's the really sad thing, is that it's her in a way that makes you click back in. I'm watching a Bond movie. This isn't Lethal Weapon 3 or whatever Miami Vice episode. Oh, is there Barry Manilow playing? <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's another gripe. We have Wayne Newton in a movie. Why do we not have Barry Manilow yet as a henchman? He would have made a great Dario. Because he was doing Austin Powers. God. Oh. Anyways, I like the M scene. I like the oh. escape. We do have some physicality. We mentioned in Living Daylights, this is the first time we've clearly been able to see the actor playing Bond with some physicality. And so I think the escape scene is one of the better scenes in this movie. Um, there aren't a lot of really memorable moments. This is one of those moments where I think any Bond fan that even doesn't like this movie probably remembers the license revoked scene. So um, I like this one. And uh, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's still just okay at this point. There's, this is uh, sadly some of the better stuff in the movie, and I, I'm not really enjoying it that much. Um, maybe if we had had Spanky in here a little bit more, <laughs> it would have been a bit better. Spanky! Um, I would just point out, I think Dalton has improved a lot by the time this film comes around. Mm-hmm. Although mm-hmm. There's still some shaky moments, that's for sure. I do think... It's just it really, really, really bums me out. He never got a third film because I do think he would have just kept improving with every film, unlike some of the Bonds. Um, well, most of them, really. So, yeah, I just really wish there was that third one in the early 90s. Um, anyway, so moving on, uh, Bond uh, is heading to Milton Crest's ship, the Wave Crest. Um, pretending to be a stingray as he goes in. Um, <laughs> Bond sneaks on, <laughs> sneaks under the... <laughs> Sorry, he's been a crocodile, he's been a stingray, he's been a birdie. So James <laughs> Bond killed Steve Irwin. Ooh, yeah. Um, so he sneaks onto the ship, he meets, what did you call her, Ben? Like, Loopy or... Uh, <laughs> Lupa or whatever Lupa. you call it. <laughs> Talisa he meets, Soto. He meets Lupa. Um, I think it's pronounced Talisa, but I don't oh, know. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry, Colin. This is for your eyes only, Krygler. Colin Holding. <laughs> You're pronouncing it rock Ben. It's Colin. <laughs> Colin Holding. <laughs> That's your British name, Colin. Colin Holding. The country club, Colin. <laughs> colon <laughs> isn't that a body part it's your anus colon! I think I can feel my colon bursting right now but that's another story um, <laughs> yeah so we meet Lupe um, do we want to talk about her for a bit uh, yes yes oh Oh, here we go. Uh, <laughs> excitement from Colin to actually talk about something this film. Um, well, I can't say I'm a huge Lupe fan or Loop. What are we calling her? Lupa? Um, she's okay, but there's been so many stronger secondary Bond girls. Um, I like that she's involved pretty heavily with the villain. Uh, she gets spankied by the villain a few times or whippied by the villain. Um but I don't know. I think she's lacking a bit of screen presence. She's she's hot, but like 
is a character that interesting? I'm not sure. So I'm mild on Looper. I think she's got some okay points, but I actually think the other Bond girl in this film is better, and oh, Bond, uh, Ben will no. be loving that. Oh, <laughs> which I'm scared to even bring up the other one when it comes to Ben. But anyway, uh, so I don't have too much to add. I think she's decent. Like a lot of this film is, it's okay, uh, but. I know you've got strong opinions on Looper, Ben. Well, I think the thing with Loopy, Looper, 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 whatever, fucking Lamora, like, her, she's, she's just, a, you know, in the wrong spot, and she's a, she's a real kind of victim in terms of where she is, but she does what she does. Like, she's not, uh, yeah, I agree, she's not the best secondary sort of Bond girl in all of the films, but I think the role that she has is just, it's it's a good role, and I think that um, the actress, you know, she's not the best actress, like we talked about, there's not brilliant acting in this film, but I think in terms of the character that she's got, you know, she, she plays it just standard, you know, that's what she has to do. Um, she's obviously involved in a relationship, you know, to sort of be... Um, you know, next to this really powerful guy, but obviously he, he treats it like shit. So she's off going off sleeping with people, and ultimately <laughs> nearly gets Sanchez killed. And you know, then she falls for Bond quite quickly. Um, and yeah, like I don't know, she's she's just she's a fine villain, a villain, a <laughs> Bond female, Bond female, Bond female. <laughs> <laughs> the politically correct term in 1989. What's the actor's name? Gordon something. <laughs> Gordon Dench. Gordon Looper. <laughs> um, Gordon Dench plays Looper. And, yeah, I, I just think it... I mean, she is there and she's good. Uh, I'm not, like, super, super sold on her, but I'm not... I don't dislike her either, so... This is this is going to sound a little weird. Um, Loop, not, not the first part, but just the whole thing together. Lupe is my favourite character in this movie. She's the only <laughs> character that I really enjoy in this movie. And at the same time, they totally dropped the ball with her. Uh, I think that this was obviously a throwback to Thunderball. This is a domino character here. Um, it was handled a lot better in Thunderball. There's the, the thing that I've always associated this movie with was is if Broccoli and Wilson and Glenn, it was like they were backing the wrong Bond girl because I completely disagree. I think that... You can take Bouvier out of this movie, and it doesn't matter. I think if you expand the role of Lupe, then this is a much better movie. Um, is it a little bit too familiar to what we've seen before with Thunderball? Probably. And the Countess as well. The slightly. Countess, yeah. Like there's and there's a Andrea lot of Andrea Anders slightly. Andrea is another really big one that I noticed too. They don't really handle her as well as those characters, and it's kind of sad because I think this was a perfect opportunity because one of the things that made those characters great was the villain's protectiveness of them. Um, obviously, we had Largo was re- extremely protective, but Largo was not a good enough villain to sell that as well as it was in the book. Uh, Andrea, Scaramanga was more just, she was disposable to him, so we didn't really get to see that. This was a perfect opportunity with a guy like Sanchez to really have like the overprotectiveness. And Lupe's kind of interesting because she seems to have some power within this organization and it's like she's planning. It's not domino where she's just, I'm afraid to leave. There's things going on in the background where you could tell she's plotting this. She's the one who really is driving the plot. If you really think about it and she's the one who's putting bond in place to do all the things he does. 
and it's just her character is almost too insignificant to the movie. Uh, there was just perfect opportunities to really expand the role. She's the only character in the movie that I really love. Uh, and yet at the same time, like I said, I really think they dropped the ball. I think that they backed the Ron Bond girl in this movie. And if they had put Pam as the secondary Bond girl and Lupe was the main one, I think this is a much stronger movie. So you don't even and, but Bond. I will agree. What's that? You said the only character in this film you like, you don't like Bond in this film? Or? I don't really like Bond. Again, <gasps> again like because I don't buy his whole objective of I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to go on this revenge mission for my friend Felix and his wife and again this is the same complaint I have with Diamonds Are Forever when you have a story as strong as Honor Majesty's Secret Service and you don't follow it up properly everything that's in reference to that is going to bother you which is why Diamonds Are Forever bothered you just called The Living Daylights a super strong story when did I call The Living Daylights a strong story well you said uh when you have a follow-up that's not as strong as the previous one, like on a Magic oh, no, Service and I Diamonds, was are, Diamonds forever. are Forever to on a Magic Secret Service, and, and I was saying that if the fact that they are referencing Tracy in this, and that that's supposed to be what drives Bond is like he's lost somebody before, it's not going to happen again. It's like, but we barely know these people, so who really cares? <laughs> it's just <laughs> I, I don't buy trailer? his whole. Yeah, I, <laughs> it should have been. It would have been better than his Once bad side. It's a dangerous place to be. <laughs> I, 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 I definitely really agree. An 80s action movie trailer for this film. I definitely agree in terms of what you're saying, though. Like when a follow up um, isn't as strong as the one, you know, well, yeah. Like obviously. <laughs> Every just, movie sequel ever, pretty much. Well, Casino Royale <laughs> clearly just was failed in comparison to Die Another Day, so. <laughs> There's our reference. We've gone quite far into this film without the, the reference, so. So does that mean that I can play, play the this? song? Oh. <laughs> oh my ears! You <laughs> killed Noah Groves. <laughs> Is that who it was? <laughs> Don't play the song because you actually might kill me. <laughs> Hashtag in jokes. Hashtag Madonna. Um, are you guys going to go out and get revenge uh, when I die? Um, against what? No. Well, who are we going to kill for this? Luton. <laughs> 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 Gluten killed poor Grove. So what? Hang on. Gluten's gonna kill both of you. So do I have to revenge like both of you? <laughs> you will wage a war on wheat. All the world must have scared the living daylights out of both of them. <laughs> must have had some glucose in that cake. <laughs> glucose? What's glucose Gluten. <laughs> Oh, you're really missing the mark here, this one, Groves. Like, Bernard Lee, Glucose. Glucose. If anybody is listening to this right now, Ben forgot to edit it out before the episode. <laughs> this is so irrelevant. There must oh, be this a isn't song. edited out. This is still in the final episode. Hello, listeners. There's a song in there somewhere. Um, let's move on. Who knows if that's even in the episode. If it is, hello, listeners. If it's not, Ben edited it out. Um, Moving on. (laughs) (laughs) Knowing Ben's editing skills on the past. There'll be fart effects every time we mention gluten. (laughs) (laughs) Don't give him your ideas. Um... Can I just point out, I have nothing to do with the editing of 007 there. It's been said. So I apologize for the fact. <laughs> 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 
I know. He did not tell us he was going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We should really get a move on. We're turning it to Survivor. Um, So Bond is on Milton Crest's boat with Lupe. And then it turns out, no, Spanky is dead. Spanky has been spanked to death. Um, Like, we don't even even remember Spanky at this point. Yeah, like, and then what's the line? Like, it is Sharky or something. Like, one of the henchmen says, he really is called Sharky or something like that. It's like, okay. Um, so Bond... I don't remember, uh, but that sounds plausible enough to be lame in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Bond is discovering all the drugs on here. Like, obviously, this is uh, one of Sanchez's drug... Uh, trades or exports i guess um and he tries to foil the plan and then we have a pretty cool bond kill i have to say when bond shoots the spear at the henchman says compliment of sharky which again we talked about how bond was not really that good friends with felix so uh, <laughs> is he really that good enough to be uh getting revenge on shit spanky now like um but it's still a pretty cool kill, I think. And then Bond dives into the water. Um, I have to say, a lot of this stuff is stuff I really enjoy in this film. All of this Wavecrest scenes, um, some of the best action in the film. And it's kind of cool them chasing uh, Bond and him trying to screw up the drug plan. And then a completely ridiculous thing, but also a pretty awesome thing, where Bond spears the gun into the seaplane, which... I love seaplanes. I've got a thing for seaplanes. I don't know why. Um, and then he's water skiing with just his feet. Uh, James Bond can do anything. But it's pretty exciting and a pretty cool scene. And then Bond makes it onto the plane and he manages to kill both the pilots and fly off with the drugs. Or is it the money? I think it the drugs. Um, well, and he also steals a lot of Sanchez's money as well, um, which will come into play later on. But this is, I don't know if I want to say my favorite scene of the film, but I really like all this action on the Wavecrest boat and then Bond and water skiing along on the plane. Like, it's typical Bond, like, the goofiness, and I think it's pretty cool, too. It's great. It's so good. Um, I I also want to point out, uh, in terms of the soundtrack to this film, um, there's, there's a piece on, on the soundtrack. Um, it goes for about nine minutes. Um, I can't remember the name of the track off the top of my head, but I'll find out for you. And it kind of incorporates sort of, you know, real good chase music in with the Bond theme, but it's a real updated Bond theme. Um, <laughs> not quite that up- updated, but it's, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, really good. And it kind of plays in well with all this sort of stuff. But the, the one, the, <laughs> I swear these people on the boat are the dumbest motherfuckers in the history of the world because they're all like, you know, oh, quick, come look, we've got something here. And they're just like, it's a manta ray. Like, <laughs> like so dumb that they don't know what a bloody manta ray is. They're on a freaking boat. This is meant to be a shark-like group of people. Like, clearly they're just out there. <laughs> a shark group of people. <laughs> well, that I, the one of those shark groups? He kills people. They're one of those shark groups of people. <laughs> <laughs> we don't kill sharks. What are you talking about? Um, but, yeah, no, it's 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 completely ridiculous, the fact that they don't even know what a fucking manta ray is. Anyway, um, but, yeah, you got the whole scene there with Bond and, and Lupe, Loopy woman, 
um, you know, make a sound and I'll kill you or whatever like that sort of stuff. Like she's really not having much luck at this point, is she? Like, if I talk, I'll die. But if I you move, I'll kill you. It's kind of, you know, a bit like Rosie Carver at that point. Oh, God, I mentioned Rosie Carver. Fuck. Um, oh, can we have a Rosie Carver yeah, sound effect every play time? This? <laughs> I reckon if we're at this point, we're going to be playing a lot of fart sounds in the background again at the moment. Um, but, yeah, I, and I love the kill. Like, you mentioned it, Noah. Like, it's just so cold, like... This compliment of Sharky. Like, in all seriousness, though, like, he fucked himself over at that point. He didn't need to do that. Like, I mean, he did that. That just kind of makes him have to go on the run. Can we also point out that from this point onwards, James Bond is breaking the law left, right, and center as his license to kill was just revoked. (laughs) So he should end up in prison. That was an illegal kill right then. Right, the police have pulled him up. Excuse me, sir. Uh, License to kill, please. Oh, um. This has been revoked. Yeah, he just really—he just murdered someone, and he has no license. He should go to prison. Well, it's a good point, actually. But uh, this whole chase sequence is amazing. Like under the water, and then he yes puts it into the the plane. He's skiing. Um, this was actually the stunt was done by world champion skier David Reinhardt. We all love David Reinhardt. <laughs> what a what a great yes, skier Steve. he is. Can't um, wait to have him on the show. Yeah, well, we will <laughs> um, definitely. Um, and climbing up onto the. To the landing part, what's that called? Ski, the ski, um, and <laughs> climbing up into the plane and kicking people out of the door and just oh, it's so good. Um, this this is I'm putting this up for Hall of Fame at the end of it. We'll get to that, but yeah. Oh, oh okay, <laughs> maybe not. Well, it's not like we're spoiled for choice here. Um, yeah. It's just fun. I love it. It's great. And um, just I love the, the Dalton acting when he sort of turns around and sees all the money and that kind of like real evil laugh he does. Like, you know, it's. I think a lot of people turn around and say that Dalton doesn't smile. Well, I challenge people to count the amount of Dalton smiles versus Craig smiles, and I think Dalton wins hands down with his smiles. And I just, yeah, I love this scene. It's great. I don't I don't know why you say you like the Dalton smiles. I mean, Sean Connery never smiled. and I don't think Roger Moore even smiled. Um, <laughs> I, I think the smiles look so awkward in this movie. I actually put in my notes, enough with the goofy smiles, Dalton. Bond is very <laughs> unhappy, <laughs> clearly. <laughs> Dude, Dalton. I want my Bond miserable. <laughs> I'm sad burn. because my friend Felix just died. <laughs> I'm... I'm going to have another minor complaint at the end of this, uh, but first I'll talk about the sequence because I do think this is a good sequence. It's not a great sequence again. I don't. I think we do have some really fun action scenes coming up. I still think that it's just all generic at this point. The water skiing part looks pretty cool, though. Um, I like him uh, climbing into the airplane and everything. Uh the the underwater stuff's okay again like we've come off of so many movies with great underwater photography and i I just found the movement here to be kind of limited i don't really care about sharky or spanky as a character so i think i put in my notes here sharky who really cares um (laughs) here's the problem i have i said that the one thing timothy dalton was missing from this role was any type of uh um libido i guess uh, because he has no chemistry with any woman in any movie ever. Oh, but there is... Well, he doesn't, let's be honest. <laughs> well, he doesn't, man. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> we all know it's true. Because of my iguana but... babysitting days. I know about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but there, there's another minor complaint here is that Dalton is missing the swagger of Bond. 
there are certain moments where I'm watching his performance in both movies, and I'm just thinking, if he had only done this one thing, then he really comes across as Bond. And when he's dumping the money out of the plane, he's giving the goofy smile, which I already said bothers me. If this were Daniel Craig or Sean Connery, the money would be flying out the plane. They would take it, they'd look at it, and they'd stuff a little bit in their pocket. It, it, they wouldn't even respond. It would just be like this this swagger, like, you know, I'm Bond, I do what I want. I, I don't want to see Goofy smile and it's like, hey, money for everybody, like it's Santa Claus, and he's throwing out presents on Christmas Day. It's a minor complaint, but again, it's another area where I just don't think he sells Bond, because I don't think there are any moments in this movie where Dalton really has that Bond swagger, and I'm missing that uh, Sequence is okay, though. Uh, the water scheme part especially is kind of cool. Uh, so after that, Bond uh, gets his... Uh, it's a CD, isn't it? Not a floppy drive, or is it's it a, a floppy... It's a CD, yes. Again, I honestly yeah. didn't realize... And I'm not even joking about this. I didn't realize CD drives like that were a thing in the 80s. I thought they came in the 90s, but whatever. Obviously, the CDs boomed in the 80s, but I didn't know they had them on computers. Um and Phillips's personal computer as well. Um, in a printer. Yeah, jeez, Felix, state of the art. Um, so he learns that P. Bouvier is the only alive informant on Sanchez. So he goes to, uh, what's the name of the bar? He goes to a bar <laughs> and uh, he asks... Barrelhead bar. Is it? Uh, according to my notes, it is. <laughs> Unless I just wrote some random thing down. Bermini bar. <laughs> Written barrelhead. Oh, it's a Bermini Yeah, it says bar. barrelhead. What is a Bermini bar? <laughs> hang on, so hang on. Am I wrong or are you just here, making right? that up? <laughs> oh, it... No, no, I I have the scene in front of me. It says barrelhead. Oh, no, right. no, oh. it, it, it's barrelhead, but then I've looked up. Bermini is a westernmost district of the Bahamas. Um, yeah, because when he's on the computer, when it's giving the, the information, it says barrelhead, comma, Bermini. So I'm guessing so Bermini is where... this is in the, the Bahamas? We're back in Nassau? Yeah, we, we established it at the beginning, didn't we? Yeah. Yeah, um, when he, when they, <laughs> yeah. When they pick up Felix, they say, well, like, he's in Harry. the Bahamas. Yeah. yeah, I thought they crossed back over to Miami at one point. Um, which, hold on, which begs the question, how does the United States DEA have jurisdiction <laughs> to go into the Bahamas and tear it up with machine guns? And does Felix live in the Bahamas, then? Apparently. Yes. Or maybe he lives in Bimini, I don't know. <laughs> We're doing well here, folks. Um <laughs> I don't think it's a case of us being idiots. I think it's a case of this film. Um, that why is there just so many American? Well, I guess it is a popular tourist place uh, for Americans. America, um, uh, but and then the DEA and uh, yeah, this film. Um, so he goes to Abamini Bar called the Barrelhead. Is that its name? Yes. Uh, <laughs> and he finds uh, P. Bouvier, uh, who's Pam. So we meet Marge's third sister, um, who <laughs> is at bar. And, oh, it's a woman. We don't get that line, but we should have. Because it feels like they were kind of trying to hide that. But we were met, we did meet Pam for about five minutes earlier. Um, I kind of like this bar scene, except for the fact I never thought we'd see James Bond ordering a bud. Um 
we really are going for the American 80s action movie here. Um, it's a cool fight. I think they could have went more over the top, though, and more into the, like, funny kind of bar roll thing and have some jokes in there almost. But God forbid there be jokes in this film. Um, <laughs> so I think they could have went a bit heavy and more of a shootout at the at the Bimini bar. Um but I still do like the brawl and I like the escape, which is pretty cool. Bond, uh, Bond and Pam on the boat uh, and then Bond shooting back. Um, and then a scene which, oh, my God, um, they run out of gas and Bond and Pam get together, which really was a huge flaw in this script because they're just – it's so painful like that they did not see that – basic story progression that Pam hates him pretty much here and she's not even really on his side at this point and doesn't really care much for him and like literally 30 seconds earlier she's only just met him and she's hating him and then they get together on this boat it would have worked so much better as a basic story if you built on this uh like relationship and this chemistry and then the at the end uh in the pool with the blinking fish uh that's when they get together. Not this randomly, we were just in a bar fight and i really not liking you and I don't want to do this thing for you. Oh, let's get together. So that's really painful to watch because I think th- they should cut that because it really makes no sense and it would make for a better story if they'd had it at the end. Um, I guess this would be also a good point to talk about Pam. Um, yeah, she's not... Here we go. <laughs> she's not a great Bond girl, but I also don't think she's the worst. She's kind of not funny, but she's got a bit of charisma and a bit of personality. Uh, but it feels like they don't know what they want to do with her character. Like, do they want to make her this kind of tomboy kind of like she flies planes and she's this really tough woman, not a Bond equal, but she's like rough around the edges. And then like, or do they want it? as someone who's kind of a bit useless when she's acting as Bond's secretary or whatever, I just feel like they don't know what they really want to do with Pan's character and they could have done it so much better. But I do like the idea of this character who, like, hangs out at these uh, barrelhead Bimini bars. She flies planes. Uh, what She was ex-CIA, um, I think, is it? Um, so I don't hate her because we were coming off some pretty bland Bond girls uh, like Octopussy Stacy. Um, I don't know if I like Pam better than Kara, but Pam's probably more useful than Kara. Um, her involvement in the story is a bit forced. Like, oh yeah, she's related to Sanchez somehow, but as I think Colin pointed out, that it's just done better with Looper. Um, so. I think Pam's okay. I think she's got some personality. I don't know if I buy their relationship too much, but I probably buy it more than I do with Kara. And at least we didn't have Bond on on the bumper cars and at the fun fair. Um, so she's decent. Hold on a second. You buy it more than Kara. You just said that they should cut the one love scene they have in this movie. They have a love scene at the end. If you, but you said you buy it to... more than Kara. You want to cut it completely out of the movie. No, if you cut that scene and have it as them getting to know each other better and getting to fall in love, um, then fish. I think it, 
Yeah. So, so in the in the fictional world where this is a completely different movie, you buy it. <laughs> I just mean their relationship. Maybe not so much the story progression, but after this ridiculous scene. So, so you didn't... want to ship Bond and Pam like as a progression of this film, not just random hookup after a bar fight in a boat. There's got to be a love connection. Ben, you are the one who loves Pam, so um, I don't know why. You're <laughs> I'm just I'm just trolling. Um, so she's decent, but again, I feel like Ben's going to say some ridiculous things about Pam, but she's okay. I like her sister better. <laughs> 1985 was when the uh, CD-ROM came into existence, by the way, folks. I've done some research while Noah was talking. Um, I'll get to Pam. Um, the the I love the bar fight, like... Talking about, like, no humour in this film. I, I think this is just hilarious, like, with the fucking fish and, like, just the the bit there where they're fighting and they smash through the jukebox and it kind of, like, goes... Like, probably not meant to be funny, but I just I laugh at that bit. Um, and kind of going back to the bit there where, Noah, you said, like, random five seconds of Pam earlier, like, what's the point of that? I think that sets up this bit because as soon as we see her, we're like, ah! That's she knows Felix, so she's got to be a good guy. She's going to help. Like I think it just kind of lays there. Like if that scene wasn't there, and this is Bond in a bar, we'd be like, "Who's the random chick?" Whereas at least this time we we sort of know who she is, so it kind of works, and it kind of leads into this whole reason why he's meeting her in the first place. Um, I, I love the whole sort of situation there with Dario and the other guy, and he's like, "Let me get it," and she like slams him down. It's like he's had enough. And then, like, weird chick in the bars are like, okay, hon, or whatever. I don't know what she's fucking... I've written here, Stripper Mary Lou. Um, <laughs> what? I don't even know. <laughs> What's that, Phil? I don't know. She's one of John Terry Felix's girls. Probably, yes. <laughs> Stripper Mary Lou? Pam Bouvier with a shotgun. Like, that's awesome. And then I love the bit when, like, their little interaction in the boat when um, it's like... Yeah, um, you're bloody lucky to be alive. You saved my life? Like, I don't know. I just, I love the kind of interaction. And I know you laughed at me. I think it was mainly Colin who did, which is something about Dalton and his, like, his interactions with the women. There's just, it's just, it's believable to me that Dalton and, <laughs> oh. and these Bond women would be together. Like, I mean, Noah, you're talking about the fact that he, she hates him and then all of a sudden they're having some nookie in a boat. I mean, God, how many Connery women was it just like, oh, we just met and all of a sudden, oh, we're having a rompy pompy in the hay. Oh, please don't, you know, <laughs> blow up the world, Goldfinger. Pussy Galore's here to stop you now. Yeah, but like, not the main Bond girls. So. No, I just, I just, I feel like it's it's fine. Like, they've been in a bar fight and, yeah, there's just, there's flirt. <laughs> there's, <laughs> well, I mean, everybody who gets in a bar, bar fight has to have sex like 10 minutes later. It's the 80s. It's what people did. They punched shit and then <laughs> fucked. It's how that worked. Um, Wasn't this the eight scare period? Well, yeah, apparently they, the reason why he didn't have as much sex as he did in earlier films was because of AIDS, but that's something to talk about in the 80s episode, I think. Um, yeah, Pam, <laughs> he just had like... sex in a boat with a woman he was fighting with two minutes earlier. <laughs> they used condoms in 1989, Colin. Like, Bond was a very safe man. Um, look, Pam is... Oh, like, she's not going to be top ten. I'll point it that way. Like, I love Pam, but I'm not like, oh, my God, she's the greatest ever. Um, she's she's a middle-of-the-range Bond girl. But, like, 
she's just she's fun like she's 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 out there she's like you mentioned sort of like a bond equal and we kind of have so many attempts to get a bond equal bond girl and i think there's only a couple of times it's worked and they would very nearly made it work with pam they just a little bit under it they could have done a bit more and we'll see that more so in the 90s and the 2000s but it's they're laying the groundwork for her. I mean, she's a CIA contact. She's a pilot. She's capable of shooting people and getting into bar fights. You know, she's willing to play along with Bond roles and she's allowed to. She's American. Um, and resume she's... typing, driving, <laughs> capable of getting into bar fights. <laughs> well, it's a key thing to do in the bar. <laughs> <laughs> and like I don't think the the chemistry of the connection with um, Dalton is there quite as much as Kara was in the Living Daylights, but there's still it's still there. And like it's kind of like at the end, like I feel Bond and has more of a connection with Pam than he does with Loopy Lupe or whatever. And well, that's we kind see of, that. Well, we, we see get, that at the yeah. end, kind of. That's where it's believable when he like jumps over the thing into the pool with the blinking <laughs> fish, like you know, the like blinking fish was so believable. L- Lupe's a bit damaged goods and. She She's okay for a one-night stand, but if you want to, like, sit down and play rock band on the weekend with Felix and Dulu, then, like, you probably want to bring Pam over because, you know, she'd bake the cookies and Bond would bring over a beer. Like, it's just how it works. And Wait, wait she's a Bond equal that has to do the baking. <laughs> well, Bond baked them and she brought them in a container. Bond makes quiche, she does the dessert. <laughs> I love how you're getting defensive about things we're completely joking. It's like, well, Bond did the baking, of course. Everybody knows that. Yeah, we're Two not even talking about this that. film. We're talking about like uh, things that didn't happen in this film. And yeah, so- that's how good this film is, is that all of our opinions are based on things that could have made it better. And I think just like Bond her, baking. Her, her point in the plot, like, you know, obviously she helps get Bond down to Isthmus City. Which we and- don't see. Um, you know, helps kind of uh, with bribing Wayne Newton, which is clearly a key plot point. Um, but then, like flying at the end too in the in the tanker chase, like I just love me. It was some very Pam. helpful there. I, I I think Pam's great, and the the one thing though that I really like in terms of like the nineteen eighties hot chick, like there was a, a big thing in the eighties, wasn't there? Was short haired women. Like, you know, I, 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 for one, am not much for short-haired women. Good on them for having short hair, but... Um, Hello, short-haired women. <laughs> like, you know, keep her with the long hair early on. <laughs> Samantha Bond is money, Penny. Golden eye, long hair, yes. Short hair, world is Judy not enough. Judy Dench would have been so much hotter if she just Judy had Dench a old. Like, <laughs> if you're old, you oh, have so short you- hair. Old people, old women are allowed to have short hair, but young well, women are not. Could you Is that what you're saying, Ben Waterworth? Gra- Granny Dench with long hair? I don't think it works. Granny Dench! Oh. <laughs> Didn't she have long hair in Riddick? She just looked like, you know, an evil grandma wench. Like, whereas, like, in... <laughs> grandma wench? Judy wench. <laughs> just shut me up. Make Colin talk, yeah, please. Stop just... talking. You love Pam. No, that's okay, on. Ben. We need to hear more of this. <laughs> I'm just going to go over and colour in my colouring book. Yeah. Colin. All right. Uh, about the time you babysit an Aquan. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I don't even know where to start. I feel like I have more to say just in response to Ben than anything to do with this movie. Don't we all? 
Uh, okay, what are we even talking about anymore? The bar fight, my least favorite part of the movie. I completely forgot. Oh, <laughs> I said this. I said this in our group chat when we were watching this movie earlier. Bond does not do bar fights. Come on, this is not a Bond thing to do. This is again. Let's make this movie as Americanized as possible. They're coming off of the Living Daylights. The box office gross was down. They did the same thing they did with Diamonds Are Forever. Let's target this towards an American audience. Let's make it as American as possible. Let's have Bond in a bar fight. There's no reason Bond would ever be in a... And if Bond was in a bar fight, I mean, just the image of Bond in this sleazy bar, you know, fighting a bunch of drooling drunks just doesn't work for me. And then there's Dalton's... I'm going to bring up something that's been a complaint up to this entire point in the movie here. Why does Dalton show more cleavage than either of the women in this movie? Like, what is with Dalton having his buttons down to his navel? It's just, it looks gross. I don't want to see Bond's cleavage throughout oh, this movie. Oh, Craig does it. It's sexy. Dalton does it. It's gross. <laughs> uh, I never said Craig did it was sexy. When did I ever say that? <laughs> I'm just, you were the one talking I'm, about pretty Craig. I'm speaking for Catherine and the women listening to this right now. <laughs> Uh, it's just, uh, <laughs> now you're speaking for the women. <laughs> oh God! Don't you get just me to said do they're that. not allowed to have we short did. hair. <laughs> we have it now. Ben Waterworth, the voice of ladies everywhere. <laughs> I'm the one feminist on this podcast. Okay, ladies, ladies, yeah, listen up. Who, no short the hair. The guy who in every episode except for this has been like, "Hey, we saw a bit of nipple there. Did you notice it?" <laughs> <laughs> you didn't bring Sorry, up Shayna Easton's short hair. <laughs> Uh, I don't even want to talk about the bar fight because it's just so stupid. It's not even funny. I mean, the thing was that a fart effect that you're throwing in there, Mr. Is it a fart Mr. Feminism? That was a disgust fart sound. <laughs> no, what the bar fight. To our episodes halfway through. <laughs> yeah, uh, bar fight stupid. Pam's even stupider. <laughs> Come on, like. There's a fine line, and I think we we had this argument around Tiffany Case, and I'll kind of clarify it now. I think that there are the useless Bond girls, like Kissy where, or Stacy, where it's like there's no point to them being in the movie. They don't matter. And then there's the ones that do have a lot to do in the movie, and maybe there was a good idea there, but the execution is so poor. So it's not really fair to call Pam the worst Bond girl because she's not as useless as somebody like Kissy or Stacy. Right. But of the ones who have a use in the movie, I'm having a hard time. I'm thinking about whether she's worse or better than Jinx. I mean, I just <gasps> don't care about all. I'm going to take, this is going to be one of those things that Ben loops in when we get to die another day. I'm like, I'm so sorry. I said that Jinx is terrible. Yeah, let's have a flashback. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just, I could not care less about Pam. I, I, I don't like the whole thing. Like she's in a bar and she's, uh, this, this tough girl. And then, then she has the makeover later on. It's just like, what's the point of that? Like, I don't understand the makeover halfway through the movie. I don't think her performance is particularly strong. I, I wish that they had just made Lupe the star of this movie. There, there was a lot more material there. There was a more interesting character. There was more of a motive. It just, from this point on, it's just Bond telling her, it's okay, I'm going to go it alone now. And she's like, well, all right. I mean, she's not even that invested in the story. I don't understand it. And then and this scene in the boat, like, no, you're completely right. I, I, 
this scene could have been completely cut out from the movie and it works better. I mean, I don't know why they're suddenly porking after a bar fight. I mean, yeah. Horny it's just, work. It's so random. <laughs> what? It's horny work fighting in a bar. Horny, that's right. Because as we established, bar fights make people horny. Uh, I don't understand it at all. Like, I, I haven't even criticized any of the characters. I haven't even criticized Dalton that much, but Pam is so bad. I just don't understand why she's in this movie. Can I can I put in an answer to the bit why she has a oh, makeover? No, no. Well, yeah. this is, this is <laughs> Please stop. No, this is this is actually a, a serious thing. Now, ha, now C- Carrie Lau. Oh, Ben's Lo- gonna get serious here. Lau, Ca- Carrie. How do you say her name? Carrie Lowell. Carrie Lowell. Yep. Um. She now. I'm just reading here. Wore a wig for the scene set in the United States. A scene where Bouvier cuts her hair was added. Wait, set in the United States. Well, well, well this, I'm just reading. I play by the MTV. Hell the the audience are we right this now? Movie. Were we just in Bissum or whatever? <laughs> a scene where Bouvier cuts her hair was added so that Lau's natural short hair could be used. There you go. Move on. But why well, did they not just have her short natural short hair in the first place? <laughs> yeah. Because it's mysterious. Oh, we must have, have, a, and they we have, must those... have short hair without an explanation. <laughs> ben Waterworth will not approve. <laughs> I was two years old when this film came out. Obviously, I was very influential in the Bond franchise. <sighs> I just don't know where in the world we are because I thought we were in the Bahamas right now. So are we... Where are... Let's we're halfway on. through the movie. I'm so sad. Because <laughs> this way, we're halfway through the movie. All right, we should pick up the pace a bit. Um, so, for some reason, she had to have long hair. Don't ask me. Is that in the trivia as to why she had to have a long, long hair? It's a feminist thing. Ben will explain it off the air. <laughs> yeah, just, just it's a feminist issue, Noah. Like, just, yeah. Can I just say, I think she rocks the short hair, and for any women out there who want to have their hair short, go for it. Um, don't listen to Ben. You do not need Ben Waterworth's approval. But let's be honest, if it works for Ben Waterworth, it's got to work for them. <laughs> uh, didn't we just get an article on our page about <laughs> <Wow>. sexism <laughs> in the pond? <laughs> wow. Uh, Let's move on. What are you saying, Lau? I think that's how you say Lau. I'm saying, wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> can, can we move on? Let's move on. Can we all just put this behind us? All You're right. the host this week. You tell us. <sighs> all right. We're in London. Money Penny is tracking Bond. That's it for Money Penny, this film. Um, hang on, hang on. Now we're going to eulogize <laughs> Carolyn Bliss. That's it. No more Carolyn. No, it's not actually the very last scene, but if you want to <laughs> eulogize Carolyn Bliss. She was um, in two Bond movies. She wore glasses. That's all I've got to say. Yeah, so this. Yeah. I don't think it's her very last scene. I think it's like... There's one little one in there, but yeah, Bond and Money Penny don't even have a scene together in her last film. But so she's tracking Bond, and that sets off Q, which we'll get to. But Carolyn Bliss, I actually probably like her better than Samantha Bond. Curse <gasps> me, what? A, surprising coming from you, Ben, seeing as you hate short-haired women. But, 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 um, but oh. uh, she she's not very good though. She's just like sexy librarian kind of. The Barry Manilow money penny. So maybe if she would have improved, if we got to see more of her. But I just keep saying, apart from Lois Maxwell, I don't think there is another money penny. Although maybe Naomi Harris. We'll see. Oh, look, just oh, oh, 
We see more of Sharky in one film than we do of Carolyn Bliss in her two films. And, nah, you, that, that's the dumbest thing you've ever said on this show, Noah Groves, that you like her better than Samantha. But, ugh, I'm disgusted. I'm disgusted. Nah, I'm not even commenting anymore. I'm, I'm, I'm furious with rage. Well, that's one way to shut him up. <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, I'm, I'm seriously, um, I've got nothing to Bliss, or is that your yeah. on her? No, um, <laughs> I, I, I don't know why we're eulogizing Carolyn Bliss, to be honest. Because she was but a we very need to eulogize, <laughs> We need to eulogize Truman Lodge at the end of this, too. <laughs> um, she's not a memorable money penny. She's memorable for the glasses. You take the glasses off of her. And you probably weren't even aware that Money Penny was in these movies. Uh, she's forgettable. I'm not going to say that Samantha Bond's worse than Carolyn Bliss. Thank you, Colin. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, she was never given it. Let's not blame her. She was never given anything to do in these movies. So it's unfortunate because I'm sure that she, she could have done it. What was the actress who played her? Gordon Wench. <laughs> and just, just in all seriousness, is because is this the bit where I feel this is the last M scene too? So do we, Robert Brown? That's it. That's it for Robert. <laughs> Why not? Why are we here? <laughs> well, I mean, we do it for every other Feels major like we're stuck in the middle of this film. For about Everybody's two hours. looking at their watch, ticking down. They're like, they're talking about Robert Brown and Carolyn Blair. <laughs> they're really going to eulogize Gordon Dent right now. Um, yeah, Robert Brown. Good old Admiral Hargraves, been in four films as M and another one. I think he works better with Dalton. I, yeah, as we said last film, like Roger Moore is like three years younger than him, so it didn't work too well. At the end of the day, not counting Ray Fiennes, as we haven't really got to see much of him yet, although at the time you hear this, we probably will have, but um, He's the worst M, but he does the job. He's the authority figure. He's better than the Never Say Never Again M. Um, but overall, he's largely uh, memorable. He's probably most remembered for This Is Not A Country Club, but 007 is his probably most famous moment and getting kicked by uh, James <laughs> Bond. But he's he does the job, but I'm not a huge fan. But I probably don't hate him as much as a lot of people do. But he's no Bernard Lee. So bye-bye, Gordon Wench. Well, I mean, we've only had four M's in the official Eon films, and um, yeah, like he's he's at the bottom. Well, again, Ray Fiennes can't really judge too much on it yet. Again, time of hearing this, but like the thing with him is, I find that by the end of his tenure as M, he kind of like I, you jokingly called him um, uh, Bernard Lee before, but he kind of feels like he's very similar to him by the end of it. So obviously that's what they were trying to go to with the type of M. But um, yeah, look, I think kind of we're about to move into an obviously vastly different M who then becomes very much relevant in the films uh, in terms of being involved in the plot lines a whole lot more, which I like. I particularly like that. And, I mean, it would have been nice for them to try and do that perhaps a bit with someone like Robert or even with Bernard. But, um, yeah, I agree. He worked a lot better with Dalton. Um, Had we seen Property of a Lady, you know, we might have had more of Robert. But, um, yeah, look, there's not a whole really lot to add on him. Uh, Thank you for playing M for four films. And, sadly, it was his last ever movie he ever was in because he didn't act in anything else between um, this and his death in 2003. So, rip, Robert. Um, he's the <laughs> adequate M. 
Let's move on. <laughs> the adequate name. That's a good name for you. Um, I will say one thing. I think the thing he does lack, I don't really think he was really feeling like a, a Bernard Lee here because the problem is I don't think he ever got the humor of the movie and it doesn't help that he's opposite Dalton, but there was a funniness to M that's really lacking with his portrayal. Um, everything else he's, he's okay. There's nothing wrong with him. It's just, he's, he's forgettable. You're, you're kind of moving on to bigger and better things from this point on. All right, let's move on. Anyone else we need to eulogize at this point? Um, we'll maybe talk about M and money penny more in the eighties episode, but um, so now Bond is sneaking in to Isthmus. 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 It's like Christmas without the Chris. Yeah, the Republic of Isthmus, Isthmus City, um, a fictional country in James Bond. Um, yeah, Christmas City. We'll just call it. Um, which. I've got a one thing that annoys me about this film is this is the first film to not use a Fleming title, um, and the, one of the short stories that hasn't been used yet is called Risico, um, and that story is kind of a gangster story. It's more like Italian mafia kind of thing, but it's still got like gang kind of members in it, so it's got some relation to this film, and this film has a fictional country in it. So couldn't I know that License to Kill is probably more of a glossier title than Risico, but couldn't we have called the fictional place Risico City and had the film be called Risico? Like, why was this the time to get rid of the Fleming titles, which just makes it another downer on this film? And couldn't you call uh, Sanchez whatever the main villain on Risico is? Um, uh, you mean Cristados and Colombo? <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is a really good point, actually, um, that they did use quite a bit of Risico in For Your Eyes Only. But they could have used a character name or even used Sanchez, but just call this film Risico. It it still sounds Bondian, and it, they could have made it work. Um, but that's, that's the problem, because Americans wouldn't understand what it meant. <laughs> What's a Risico? Um, <laughs> Yeah, so they're in Isthmus. <laughs> I wish we got to see the scene of them sneaking in. That could have made for a good tense action sequence. But instead, it's just, oh, we're here. And Pam wants to stay, uh, which um, Bond doesn't want. <laughs> but then he eventually says, yes, but you need to look like a, my uh, secretary. So she gets a haircut. And... Uh, Bye-bye wigs. And poor Ben, his eyes are burning at seeing this short hair. Um, which I don't understand. Well, all secretaries had short hair. I don't know. I think she looks better with short hair, but whatever. Colin, where do you stand on uh, Pam Bouvier's hair status? Um, <laughs> We've jumped the shark. <laughs> that, jumped, that's jumped, that's jumped it the right there. Here. We've we officially jumped the, jumped the spanky. <laughs> I, I think the short works better and gives her about 0.5% more personality than she had before. Glad we've settled that one. Uh, so we see, uh, we're introduced to Wayne Newton, uh, I believe, the um, the evangelist. Uh, is that what you call it? Televangelist. Um, scamming the money off people in Isthmus, which I actually like this character for what it's worth. Um, 
I don't know, Ben, do you have any quick thoughts on his character before we move on? Well, it's it's interesting because Wayne Newton was a huge Bond fan and he wrote to the producers and was like, hey, I'd love to be in a Bond film. So they specifically wrote this for him. And it was meant to be a, a parody of televangelists at the time because they were a big deal in the late 1980s and there was all these controversies about real-life televangelists, you know, who were there preaching all this goodwill, but in the meantime, behind the scenes, they are actually rooting all their assistants. So... Um, yeah, I, I like it. I think he's fun. Wayne Newton, um, I quite like him. I mean, I'm a big uh, National Lampoon's Vegas Vacation fan. And, you know, if anyone's seen that and sort of knows the role he plays that. And, um, yeah, I, I quite like Wayne Newton. So I have nothing against this character in this film. Yeah, um, I, I think it's it's funny to have him in here. He doesn't really fit the tone of the rest of the movie. But I think that's where it's the fault of the movie. Because this could have used more characters like him. Um he, Professor Joe Butcher, the televangelist, uh, who's the the cover for this drug smuggling operation. It's a really funny idea. The the whole layer he has is hilarious. Uh, this was the other character that we were watching it. My wife, who had no idea who Benicio del Toro was, no idea who Wayne Newton was. This was the other character that she said she liked in the movie. So they obviously did something right here. Um, he has a really hilarious moment coming up, which I know we're going to mention. Uh, I, I do love Vegas Vacation too. I just I wanted him at some point when later on when Pam's in the room with him to just be here and it's a lock of my hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I like the character. Um, <laughs> but we have Bond at the <laughs> at ignore the, me. <laughs> the Isthmus Casino. <laughs> If I could interrupt for a second, is he giving the lock of hair to Pam because he's implying that short hair doesn't work? <laughs> 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 I think we, just, we need to have some Lindsay Buckingham holiday rock <laughs> going on in the background right now. That's a good point. Though. I think that's a subtle uh, dig at Pam's hair. Um, yeah. So Bond's at the casino. Good to see Bond back at the casino. Um, and he wants his martini shaken, not stirred, which Pam has to go and collect because she's the assistant. And I'm not sure if either of you picked up on it, but when <laughs> Pam Bouvier mimes what shaken is, uh, it's very <laughs> suggestive. And I have to believe that there's a gif out there of that. Um, <laughs> Bond has a meeting with Sanchez and he tries to work himself in. Sanchez still has no idea that uh, he is a British secret agent, although technically he's not, if we're being technical. Uh, he got fired from that. And then they find out the Bond's uncle has arrived. Um, and oh, I don't know if I love this or I hate this. This is Q, who is on leave. Um, and, like, I don't know. Do you guys like that they're assisting Bond, even though he's technically not working with the British at this point, um, yes, I think it's the Q- only thing that makes it feel like a Bond movie to me. Yeah, well, Q has a lot of involvement in this film and is quite funny in this film. Maybe not his best film, but he's still good. Um, but it's just kind of weird to see Q here when there is so much that isn't Bondian around it. But I agree that Q is one of the bright spots of this film. Um, and then what's the line where this is my uncle and this is my... Cousin, Wife. we must be related. Cousin, oh, we must be related. I think that's a great line. And then we talked about cameras. Um, we then have camera laser that Pam tries using and then Bond's palm kind of gun thing. 
Um, maybe we'll leave it there as a breaking point. So Bond's introduction into Isthmus at the casino, the meeting with Sanchez, the introduction of Uncle Q and the gadgets. And I still maintain we should have seen the scene of seen the scene of um, uh, Bond and Pam sneaking into Isthmus, but whatever. I, I really like it when they're in the um, the hotel room and he's like, my executive secretary would do that. He can't even sign a document like my executive secretary would do that. And he's like giving the money and he's like, fresh flowers every day. Like, Jesus, Bond, you're a bit anal about that sort of stuff, aren't you? And buy yourself some decent clothes. <laughs> like, you think I'm an arsehole. Jesus. Um, I, I love the whole setup with the bank and then we get Sanchez like having the tour there and he gets using the word gringos. Like, is that not like the most, you know, uh, gangster sort of Latino line there? It's just kind of like honkies and now we're just using gringos. Um, where is Isthmus, South America? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's meant to be a play on Panama. So it's kind of Central America. Um, so it's, yeah. Why didn't they go to Panama? They didn't want to piss the Panamanians off. <laughs> I don't know. And interestingly, I don't know if you guys, you probably knew this, but I think most of this film was actually meant to be originally written for China. Um, but, um, mm-hmm. yeah, there were lots of elements why they didn't end up doing it. It would have been interesting to That's have it in probably China. probably a good thing, maybe. Um, but, yeah, no, we talked about Wayne Newton. Um, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned the sort of the hand gesture for the shaken, like shaken, not stirred. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, do we classify this as a martini? Because Bond doesn't technically drink yes. it. Okay, well, I, I counted it anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> I love the fact to make that the episode longer. There's a trivia point on the IMD thing. It's like, this marks the only occasion that one of the Bond girls drinks Bond's drink. Like, wow. Oh, Stretching for the trivia you. in this film, guys. Um, and yeah, the meeting Bond, Sanchez, setting it up. You know, I like it when Bond's kind of like, I help people with problems. I'm recently unemployed. And he's like, you've got big cojones. And like, you know, it's so like Latino gangster. Um, and then we get the sinister Asian looking man keeps looking in. Oh, I wonder what he's going to play into it. Um, I love the whole, your uncle has arrived and Q and the, the interaction when he's like, you know, he's kicked him. So now he's tackling Q. Um, and then he's kind of like, you know, oh, go home Q. Don't be an idiot 007. If it wasn't for Q branch, you would have been dead long ago. Um, and then he gets straight into showing off his gear. I love the way Desmond Llewellyn says plastic explosives, like the latest in plastic <laughs> explosives. And the whole scene with the camera, when he's like, don't use a flash! And then, like, you get the skeleton photo. Yeah. I, to, <laughs> I, I didn't realise paintings had a skeleton inside of it. <laughs> it's a very, very powerful camera. Um, and... The, the the best bit, I just love it when they go like off to bed and then Pan's like, good night. And then they go into the room and the line when Bond's like, I hope you don't snork you. And you see Q fluffing pillows like he's getting ready to go to bed. You would ever think we'd see Bond and Q bunking together. In I'm just floor. waiting for him to take his teeth out and put it in a glass next to the bed and like get a glass of warm milk and put his slippies on. Something. There's just something about that scene that just I lose it every time I see it. Q fluffing his pillows and Bond going. This is like Q. This is like, thank you, Karen. You can lock up all over again. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, 
<laughs> little old man. Like, let's be honest. Like, Desmond Llewellyn, like, from this point on, like, he's, you know, we, we sort of commented that, you know, he's never sort of been a, a young man, but he's kind of still got a youthful, sprightly thing about him, just Desmond Llewellyn. But it's kind of this film that you can kind of, you know, tell his age is catching up to him. And then obviously when we get to the Brosnan films, it really does. But I, I love I love Q in this film. I think it's great. Um, yeah, it makes it really feel like a Bond film. I still think this feels like a Bond film, but it just adds to it. And this is, I think, yeah, the most screen time Q has in any uh, Bond film um, up until we get bloody what's-his-name in it a lot. But, um, yeah, it's great. I love it. It's fun. This is kind of like Octopussy all over again, like really getting Q involved in the plot. Um, and it does help with this movie because I don't, really think that there's any moments up until now that you could recognize as a Bond movie unless somebody told you you're watching a Bond movie. The the sequence is really funny that Bond just tackles him to the ground because he comes in and he, he, he throws the door open and he clearly can see this is like a 95-year-old man standing in front of him and he still feels the need to tackle him to the ground and like bash his head into the carpet before he's like, oh, it's just Q. Uh, I just wonder if he that. like every... Every time he sees a 90-year-old man, he's just tackling him to the ground. doesn't matter where he is. The The gadgets are cool in this movie. I actually do like the gadgets. I just find the introduction of them here just be so funny. Like the camera flash, and you can see a skeleton inside of a painting. Uh, the, the, the gun thing is funny because this is obviously the Skyfall like fingerprint gun, the, the palm-reading gun. You can only identify it by you, but... It's just the fact that when he's he's like, all right, so you take this and you plug it in here. Then you turn this. It's like, just 16 more easy steps, 007, and then you'll be able to shoot somebody. Like, if your <laughs> life's on the line, you're going to do these 16 steps to set up the gun. Uh, the cue the scene is always fun. Q on the scene doesn't, I mean, they explain it this time. I just, I imagine there was a scene earlier with M where he's like, I have to tell you, everybody something. Bond has gone rogue. We're going to bring him in. We'll kill him if necessary. And Q's like, can I go help him? No. Can I go on my vacation to Isthmus now? Sure, go for it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, after that, we have kind of cool scenes of Bond uh, kind of sneaking around. He's rappelling and he's on top of the lift. Uh, very Diamonds Are Forever type vibes here setting up some explosions in his effort to kill Sanchez, which he's having trouble getting to. Um, he needs his revenge on Felix Leiter and Spanky. Um, and in the middle of all this, ninjas. <laughs> this film has ninjas. If it wasn't 80s enough, let's chuck in a few ninjas for Bond to fight. Uh, this film seriously had ninjas in it. Um, I'm going to really struggle to see... Ben's trying to defend every single angle of this film. I'd love to hear the the defense of the ninjas. Um, they worked in You Only Live Twice. These leftover ninjas don't work too well. Um, so there's a ninja fight, which is just what we needed to make this film better. Uh, and we learn it's Hong Kong narcotics who have been on to Sanchez for years, um, who quickly, sh- shortly after the ninjas are disposed of, and Bond... Uh, joins with Sanchez, who still doesn't know that he's a secret agent. Um, and we have Bond and Lupe really connecting here on, I guess it's the island. Um, and Bond is gaining the trust of Sanchez, which they then head to the crest boat. Uh, what did we call it? The wave crest. 
with the f- millions of dollars that Bond stole originally from the seaplane, and they frame Crest by placing the money back in, and then Ben, the moment that you've been talking about, um, <laughs> apparently, I don't actually remember you talking about this, but as you told me off air, you've been talking about it all the time, of uh, Sanchez killing Crest in the, what is it, the hypodermic chamber, I think it is. which. Yeah, um, it's it's a really cold like kill, but it's pretty awesome, and it is definitely a plus for Sanchez as a villain. Um, and like, it's pretty full on for a Bond film. This uh, crest death, um, and then that's when Bond gains his full trust with Sanchez. Uh, maybe we will break there, but. I like all of this Wavecrest stuff. I do think this film kind of lacks around this period right before the climax and then right after the Bahamas stuff. But I do think it definitely has some fun stuff there. The ninjas are so ridiculous. I do not know what they were thinking there. Um, Yeah, come on, Ben, defend the ninjas. I don't think I can defend the ninjas. I mean, come on. It's like (laughs) just there. Like, you know... Why would have made more sense to have like Moonraker land there with a laser battle or something? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean you covered a bit there. Like um, Bond turned into a waiter randomly, like to sneak up into the elevator. Uh, we get um, you know typical John Glenn jump scare pigeon. We get at least some sort of pigeon involved. Mm-hmm. Um, there. Um, I've written here because uh, I've written here Asian man with Botox. <laughs> what? As um, is it Quang? Is that his name? The the guy, Quang Quang. Uh, we shouldn't trust you on names. Um, it, <laughs> oh, Quang, Quang Quang. I'd say Quang. That sounds more Quang. He, I've written here. He looks like Quang he's got like Botox. Like his forehead doesn't move. Like I, Botox wasn't a thing in the eighties, but he just obviously is very well looked after his forehead. Um. <laughs> And Bond, when Bond's lining up... Well, that's funny you say that. If you look at his Wikipedia page of the actor, it's a picture of him pointing to his forehead. He's very proud of it. very famous, old Quang's forehead. The world's most famous I just like the way you phrase that. It's like, he really looks after his forehead. That would have been a great way to introduce him. It's like, that's Quang. (laughs) He takes a lot of pride in his forehead. (laughs) Pointing to it. Um, I love it when Bond's like... Um, getting ready to kill um, Sanchez. What does he say? Watch the birdie, you bastard. <laughs> and when he gets kidnapped and we yeah, have ninjas, like, you know, you've typically got to have the wah, 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 like people making those noises as they come in. Um, and, yeah, the whole cyanide killing it. I love it how in any spy movie or movies like this, when someone clearly dies of cyanide, there's always some smart-ass standing behind the person going, cyanide, like, just to tell you, well, duh, what else can people kill when they eat something like that? Um, the, the bit that I love about this whole situation, when Sanchez obviously takes Bond back to the island, you talked about blinking fish. We get Bond waking up and staring at weird fish head thing that kind of just stares at him, and you get the dramatic music that's like, and like, what is that? It's like a fish with a human face on it or something. It's freaky as all hell. Um, I don't even notice that, but me. Um... <laughs> Yes. My my biggest question about Sanchez, I love Sanchez. He's an evil prick. Um, he's great. He's a great villain. 
He clearly goes after Felix because he knows Felix is one of the ones that went after him to capture him. Surely he knew who Bond was at the time too, because wouldn't he have seen Bond coming down on the plane to capture him? So well, how does he yeah, not so know he's not Bond? Yeah, like, who's like, that guy in the tux running behind the slow motion guy with the man boobs? Yeah, <laughs> like that's the one thing this whole movie that annoys me most. The guy who captured Sanchez and he doesn't know who it is. Yeah, that's just the one bit, the one thing I have. Plus um, he introduces himself as Bond, James Bond. I'm sure they didn't have Google, but I'm sure they had some way of searching that name. Old well, newspapers is, from 1967. Well, I was going to say, this is how Hong Kong narcotics know who Bond is, because clearly they remember the newspapers from um, yes. the 60s. <laughs> um, yeah, Bond bangs, loopy, whatever. Yeah, now this head compressor <laughs> scene... Um, like, yeah, I've mentioned this in at least a few episodes. I've brought it up and I said, oh, what movie is that? Fear Eyes Only? Is that License to Kill? And... Yeah, License Kill. Apparently, this has been edited from a lot of versions of License Kill because, I mean, we talk about, I guess, the rating of this film. It was a PG-13 rather than just a PG film um, in America. And, yeah, this scene has been edited from a lot of versions because, yeah, exactly as you said, it's quite full-on. Like, I mean, we got, um, what's his name's head expanding in Live and Let Die, but... You know, that that was, <laughs> that was nothing the, compared to this. The opposite of full-on. There was no guts and, like, a, a liver flying out of, like, the sky. There was like, nothing. This just needed, like, a bit of white in there, and it would have been, like, a bit of his skull, like, creeping down. Like, it, yeah, it's fairly full-on. But, um, again, just sells Sanchez. Like, as maybe he's, he's a bit dumb when he just doesn't know who this random guy is who's befriending him, but... You know, to get revenge, he shoves him in a hyperbaric chamber and makes his head explode and just stains his money. Um, <laughs> so, oh, we can't use this. It's got stains all over it. <laughs> takes it to the bank of Isthmus. Uh, sir, what is this? Oh, that's just a bit of his eye. Just wipe it off. It's still <laughs> valuable. Um, but yeah, I, I love it. And it kind of, yeah, connects Bond in there and he's really kind of now infiltrated. He's in with Sanchez and this is where it's, you know, I'm enjoying the plot in terms of how he's managed to do that and setting it up, obviously, uh, towards the end here. We should also mention that at this point we're introduced to uh, another one of the offsprings of Karen Bay because he was uh, oh, screwing yes, yes. people all over Mexico too. And uh, <laughs> his spawn is now the president of Ismus. Of uh, course. That's Pedro pretty cool, there is, It is cool. It, the, you know, they made a point to mention it even in the From Russia with Love documentary that Pedro Armanderas Jr. came back in the Bond movies. It would have been nice to give him a little bit of a bigger role here. <laughs> I like the idea. Well, not to say this is the most interesting character, but I like the idea that, you know, the, the, the whole political thing, like when we talk about Kananga, I think that was something they missed in Live and Let Die, that the political connections of how you could control this. Uh, I would have liked to see a little bit more of the whole politics here how because you really do have to wonder i mean he, he, we have sanchez showing up on the red carpet and the media is there it's like sanchez sanchez is it true that you escaped from an american prison like well <laughs> i don't think he'd be out there flashing his face all over tv hey, if he was on the run like, he'd be extradited pretty quickly but th- with the political connection yeah well that's the thing we don't know what's going on in isthmus is is Karam... sanchez an ifmisian um i think he's puerto rico colombian isn't he yeah are you colombian oh, well that's the question everyone <laughs> yeah, that's right. asking. <laughs> we'll never know because he got taken away what are you doing in the bahamas <laughs> uh, i like the scene with lupe because i think that that's the interesting character in this movie and again this is the missed opportunity we have kind of a really unfortunate line later on which is like i love him so much which she seems sincere on which is really stupid because 
in all of these scenes, it's like she's playing Bond. She's not playing Bond as in, you know, manipulating him, but in a way she is. She sort of saw an opportunity on the boat. Here's a guy that I can use and I can get rid of this, you know, terrible abusive boyfriend I have. And in a way, it's funny because she's not really interested in trading away her life. You see that she's still very involved in Sanchez's organization. This isn't Domino, you know, shoved into uh, the basement and, uh, you know, t- man talk, Domino or whatever. This is, she's fully integrated into his plan and she kind of sees the opportunity to use Bond to get what she wants out of this. And we should also mention that the plot here with Bond meeting Sanchez and everything and waking up in the room after the ninjas, which I don't even want to get into. Why are there ninjas in this movie? Why is Hong Kong police using like an old school, t- like give the people some guns. They don't need to be ninjas, you know? Um, they were left over from the great volcano battle of 1967. That's, that's right. <laughs> Wrong country, but yeah, basic idea the same. <laughs> Noah Groves, he's done it again. <laughs> Oh, they went to Hong Kong in that film. Didn't we have this discussion yeah, in a Moonraker or something like that where you got your Asian <laughs> countries confused? Yeah. Um, but this is what the plot really was intended to be. And this is where I I really find it strange that, especially if you watch all the making ofs and the documentaries, the Inside License to Kill documentary, the first time I saw that, I was so shocked at how highly everybody spoke of the movie especially john glenn saying it's like the proudest he's ever been of a movie he made and one of the examples he uses is this plot here is that bond takes down sanchez's organization from the inside which is a very interesting idea that if you really look at the movie is not executed that well because bond only has like two brief mentions he's like oh i would think somebody from the inside might have been inside this and that's what leads to crest being killed and it's just something in Bond implies. And it's done even worse and even less effective the second time he does this. But Bond has so little to do with this. The fact that the organization crumbles, this is where Sanchez starts to look like a really dumb villain. He's just buying into some throwaway line that this admitted former agent says, oh, maybe there's another guy on the inside. Um, we do get Crest's death scene, which is spectacular. And I did put in my notes here, Crest's exploding head, Ben was not crazy. So <laughs> now you. we know all the way back in Live and Let Die, Ben wasn't a liar. Um, <laughs> he's going to probably play the flashback clip here of us saying, oh, I think you're making this up, Ben. Is it, is it a view to a kill or um, license to kill where he's got in the pressurized tank and his head explodes at the window? Is that license to kill? Um, I, I can't we... remember the scene you're talking about. They're, they're on a boat and the henchmen like, kill one of their own people. They put him in like a hyperbaric chamber. And his head blows up at the window. I think it's licensed to kill. I'm sure, this isn't the Austin Powers thing. Yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's definitely, it's definitely in Bond. Probably just did. Now I'm responding to something like that. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I do. There's gonna be some fart effects in there every time we say we don't like Pam or Sanchez or anything. <laughs> they just make but, it too hard yeah. for me to edit this. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I don't know if we want to talk about this next scene because I, I don't know if it really goes into anything. But are, are we going to cover the whole Pam meets Lupe scene here too? You can talk about it if you want, Colin. Okay, I'll talk about <laughs> it. Again, just where the good characters go bad here. I mean, we have Bond's escape, which again, you see that Lupe's really uh, efficient. She knows how to sneak a guy out of there because she's probably done it a million times. When Lupe shows up saying? and she's talking, 
Well, with the, the movie's introduced with her cheating on Sanchez. I mean, I'm sure it wasn't the first time. Cullen just, just told her a slot. Well, come on! In this movie, <laughs> listen, we've seen her sleep with two men, and Sanchez is not one of them. Like her boyfriend, yeah. the only guy she's wow. had with. Wow! Well, as a as a proud feminist, I apologize for Cullen's comments. <laughs> she has slept. But at least with she two had men. long hair, though. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh, wow. Anyways, I apologize. Back on to the point. <laughs> when she shows up and she does the whole thing about, oh, you know, I was with James last night and you see that Pam is all kind of really like Chilly. all of a sudden Pam's very connected to Bond for some reason. It's just it's not <laughs> believable at all. And then Q's like field operatives have to do what they have to do in order to accomplish <laughs> the mission. He's like trying to console the jealous girlfriend. But then Lupe is like. I just love James so much. It's like, you've said four words to him. And it's the fact that which delivers that she sounds so convinced. Like if she was doing that to play people and you could see that maybe she was just sort of having fun with the, this other girl, I would get it. But it's just, the scene doesn't make sense that now you have these two girls who are jealous pitted against each other. Ben, tell us the feminist take on that. No, like I, I completely agree with actually with what you say because it just reminds me. Was it Goldfinger when he breaks into the hotel room and it's like, "You're the most interesting man I've ever met." And we like went on for ages. Like you just met him. Like yeah. she, she, she. Look, call her what you called her before, but like I think she's more just one of these. I didn't like, call I think her he called her anything. <laughs> I might have been. I simply pointed out she's sleeping with everybody but her boyfriend. I think she's more of like that clingy, possessive girl who meets you and it's like, "Oh my god, I love you. Let's get married." Um, and like, I think it's more so Pam's got a, you know, bit of feelings. Like she had a connection with him, literally. Um, and you know, she obviously can see herself falling for him. Literally, Lupe is like, oh my God, I love him. Like I think cutting I'm for Vespa. On, I think I'm on <laughs> Pam's side on this one because Lupe is just a massive cheater. She sleeps with everyone and Bond, <laughs> is, Bond is playing two women at once. So he's she slept just with as two bad. people. That's not the whole population of Isma. She team. has a boyfriend, although he does whip her. Bond, so. has, a, <laughs> Bond has bloody girlfriends, but he's... Oh. oh, you can't forget the wife after 10 years or whatever we talked about that episode. <laughs> uh, yeah, Bond is playing two women at the same time, and Literally. so is Lupe. So I think I'm on Pam's side. At least she's sticking to the one person. But Pam is an ex, what as we said, a CIA, DA agent. She should CIA. know that you have to do things to accomplish the mission. Why is Q telling her that? Just makes her look dumber. Because Pam's probably not slept. a slut. Pam's not Lupe. Pam's, <laughs> Pam probably slept with everybody to get inside Sanchez's oh organization. <laughs> so is everyone in this film, except for Q. Poor Q. Um, yeah, Q, Q hasn't gotten lucky since Octopussy. Well, I just wanted him to sit, <laughs> sit Pam down. Like, field agents must have to do what they have to do. My time in India. I, I think James Bond is more of a slut than Pam is, but anyway. Well, what are we um, up to on the, the root count? I think we can definitely say that James Bond is kind of a slut. <laughs> but he's not cheating on... He but cheated on Tracy. Time, Sanchez is an abusive boyfriend, so I don't even know if you'd call it cheating. I... I don't blame Lupe at all. Um, I'm not saying I blame Lupe. I'm saying that she... <laughs> she's a slut. All right, she's said it. My, going oh, back to my original... Before we have Ben and his feminists uh, all over, <laughs> going back to my original comment, she very convincingly sneaks Bond out of the compound because she's probably done it before. And I think the fact her character was introduced, being caught sleeping with another guy, 
it's probably something she's done before. Oh, wow. Let's move on. All right, to clarify, she's not what I said she was. No one no, in this Ben film. said she was. All got their no one, is, no one is what I said except for James Bond. And... Well, no, everybody is, and it's okay that they are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can't have one or the other. It's either oh, none fuck of it. Everyone is, and it's, it's fine. Let's just all be They're smart. all trying to accomplish the same goal here, world domination. Even Joe Butcher, as we find out in this next scene of him and Pam, that we pretty yeah. much already talked about, Oh, he wants some hair. So, Joe Butch is a slut. Um, <laughs> I think we need to stop saying slut. <laughs> like, I think we're only... You just say- <laughs> Let's move on. Um, maybe we need to do some editing on this episode. All right. Oh, God, just make more work for me, Will. Why don't you? <laughs> okay. Every, every uh, time the S word was mentioned, you heard a cat meow. <laughs> there you go. I don't think cat meow was the best choice. <laughs> well, no one knows what we really here. were saying. Can we, we were saying, just, can we just loop Dario in there? Well, we could just loop Dario in there every time going, honeymoon! <laughs> <laughs> I feel like cat meow could bring connotations that we don't want to bring up. Um, all right. So, can we please move on? Uh, we've been yes. stuck here for so long. Bond heads to the final kind of villain lair uh, with with Sanchez, and we we've already kind of talked about Pan's role here. We're also introduced to Colin's favorite character, Truman Lodge, who Ugh. I think if there was one word to sum his character up, wimp would be a good word. I think he's mm. such a wimpy guy. Um, Spanky and Wimpy, there's a spin-off for you. Um, so we, we learn about how they're turning the drugs into, what is it, fuel, um, I think it is, and we see a demonstration there of all the Chinese, I think it is, um, uh, the, not businessmen, the the drug buyers, I guess, uh, the investors, if you want to call it. Um, so we get that demonstration there. Bond's still there along for the ride until he gets caught out by Dario which leads to kind of this big breakout where everything's on fire. Colin's happy. He loves fire. Um, which And then everyone's going crazy and they want to make sure the drugs is safe in the big tankers. So they're heading out the tankers and Truman Lodge is being a wimp. Um, and what about this? Um, and then a pretty cool fight breaks out between Bond and Dario. Um well, it's not that great, but it's it's all right for this film. Um, I think uh, Benicio really uh, shines here, and I like that Pam shows up here and kind of saves the day. It's kind of cool. So I think it's kind of a bit of a tense and cool scene. Uh, we have Bond and Pam escaping from the compound in a caddy kind of golf cart thing, and then onto a plane, which is cool. Uh We've got the flying and landing Bond onto one of the tankers that's escaping, which I think is cool that I think, Ben, you mentioned earlier, Pam, even though she doesn't have too much use here, that she's flying along through this entire scene just adds that other element to it, which I think is pretty cool. Um, Although the plane seems to disappear just every now and then and comes back again when convenient. Um, then we have a massive tanker chase, which I would argue may be a bit too long, but that's such a minor complaint because it is really cool. And you can see a lot of the budget went into climax of the tankers um, and then 
we've got so much going on here. Bond fighting people. We've got cars with henchmen. Uh, we've got <laughs> Bolt doing a wheelie in one of the tankers, which I don't know if that's possible, is it? Um, and then we've got the final fight between Bond and Sanchez, which is quite short. Uh, Sanchez has his big machete, and then Colin was jumping up and down that Sanchez is burnt <laughs> as his final death. So Colin was really happy there. He loves burning people. Wah! That was uh, amazing. Yeah, using the genuine Felix lighter to burn him on fire. Um, so there's a lot in there, but that's kind of the final climax. It's kind of two scenes in one, really. Um, it's unique. Personally, I prefer the big battles, but I think this works for the film. It's really got a huge scope. It's a big stunts. Uh, probably the best scenes of the movie here. And Dalton really excels in his action in these scenes. And... Sanchez kind of a bit mad during here. I think the final fight could have been a bit bigger and better, but for the most part, I love everything that happens in this big chase down the mountain kind of thing. One thing I just quickly say, I think someone needs to edit the footage of um, Bond burning uh, Sanchez at the end and have it so you hear, ooh, a genuine Felix lighter, then you hear, wow, <laughs> and then he gets burnt on fire with the mirrors going, ah! In the background, so like three. Well, characters. you're the one editing things, so you. Can oh, do. don't talk about editing. I've added cat sounds and fart sounds and flashbacks. All we need is a donkey. Uh-huh. Oh, we just heard one. Um, all right, so. <laughs> God. Yeah, we really have jumped the shark in this episode. Um, the the whole sort of lead up into kind of Bond getting discovered by Dario, I like it because obviously really to this point, we're like, oh, this is pretty easy. Bond's infiltrated Sanchez and then kind of, you know, we sort of said, well, why doesn't Sanchez recognize Bond? Obviously, we know at this point that Dario will recognize Bond, so he's got to keep his little mask on. And then he kind of, kind of creates the diversion and then, you know, gets caught out and then he's going to get chopped up to bits and... Um, yeah, it's a, it's a good little fight. Um, sort of it's tense and it's pretty gruesome when he gets his legs completely ripped off. And I do love the line there when he's like dangling there and Pam, I can't remember what Pam says. And she's like, switch the bloody thing off. <laughs> um, I, I, I like that. Um, and yeah, we get this whole sort of lead into, uh, the, um, the final chase, um, we, we get, <laughs> I love the Wayne Newton scene when they're driving along in the little golf caddy and Pam steals the money back and he's like, bless your heart. Like, it just <laughs> reminds me when I went to America, I was like, walk past this homeless man and he comes up to me and he's like, oh, sir, please, you know, spare a dollar. I'm just like, oh, no, I don't have any. And he's like, God bless you. And I'm like, I and said, I bet you had a dollar. Well, it was like American money, and it's all looked the same. Anyway, um, <laughs> but I didn't want to give him like a hundred. You give him two dollars. Well, if I gave him a hundred, he'd like have a home, and then he wouldn't be. I don't know. Um, <laughs> God forbid that homeless guy has a home. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was his job. Like I didn't want to make him unemployed. But... That was his job being homeless. Begging was his job. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> we oh, what's oh, we happened missed, to this podcast. We missed the whole Pam Wayne Newton little bed scene. I thought that was fun. Anyway, whatever. Um, We've mentioned about fifty. Yeah. And- this this final scene, I I love it. Like this is in my top ten final sequences. Um, 
it's just it's just I don't think it goes for too long. I think it's a perfect length. And what kind of really also sells this for me is the lack of music. Like that sounds weird because I'm always one to talk up soundtrack and everything. But I think what adds to this scene is no music, and then we kind of get the like when he drives the wheelie truck, and you know it kind of. <laughs> It goes through and we kind of have, like, again, comedic moments in any sort of chase with, like, the family in a truck thing going forward there. And um, we get, you know, henchman man who's getting his truck shot to bits by Sanchez. And my biggest question, though, is this whole thing. The whole thing I don't like about or don't get it is, like, they're shooting the shit out of a petrol tank. Now, if this was a three blind mice, you know, a little ricochet off (laughs) that would have blown the shit out of them. Like, oh, clearly not with Bond on there. Um, But But isn't it supposed to be the drugs, though? Well, it's still petrol. It's still inside the gasoline. And it still blows up like a motherfucker when they blow it up in a minute. So, um, and it, it leads, I love the kind of final interaction. Like, I think it works perfectly with a character like Sanchez because Sanchez isn't the type of villain that I really see kind of in a hand-to-hand. Like, he, Sanchez is that villain that relies on everybody to do everything for him. Like, he's in control. He has, like, this power over people. So that's what he does. Like, he'll shoot a few bullets out of a window, but he's going to get his truck drivers to do it. He's going to get his henchmen... But when all sort of avenues have failed, he's got to get out with his, like, massive machete. And it's I think it's a perfect ending. And, like, you know, it comes full circle. He gets the, the lighter out, the genuine Felix lighter. And it's like, don't you want to know why? And then, boom, and Colin's happy. And, you know, there he goes. And that's that's kind of the end. Um, I, I just think it's fantastic. It's, it's such a good ending and probably um one of the ones that i've seen the most because i remember actually when i was younger i used to just watch this finale like i'd watch license to kill when i'd rent it but i'd always go back and watch this and i remember watching a documentary on kind of the making of this and it was all filmed on like some uh roads uh i don't know what country it was colin you it might was know filmed on roads <laughs> um a fairly mexico. mexico yeah like a haunted road or something like that with kind of like you know legends and everything and there's a fairly famous the photograph yeah fairly yeah. famous photograph out there with a flaming hand coming from it, which they went and reviewed all the footage of it, and they cannot see this flaming hand at all. Like, it's just from a still shot, and um, there was, like, missiles that were being shot that, like, went kilometres away and, like, injured people because, like, you know, it's allegedly haunted and all this sort of stuff, and um, it's in the documentary. It's quite fascinating, but, um, yeah, it's it's a great way to end it, and Bond gets his revenge with the genuine Felix Leiter, and Sanchez is burnt to a... Kentucky Fried Chicken Nugget on the ground with quarrel somewhere. Um, I, first of all, I do really like the location here. We haven't had mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. really great climax location in a long time. Um, I'm trying to think when the last time we really had one this good was. Uh, For Your Eyes Only was an interesting idea. It didn't quite look as big as this, but uh, yeah, maybe Moonraker? I don't know. But the... Um, the first problem I have here is, again, this plot. Uh, there's two problems. First of all, Bond's story is a revenge mission. He really couldn't care less about this drug smuggling. But the entire climax is about the drug smuggling. They're revealing, they're dissolving the drugs into gasoline, and then they have a way to extract it later on. And I don't think the audience really cares at this point, because Bond's invested interest is just in getting revenge for Felix. So when Bond's here, I'm wondering, like, does he even care if he stops these drug dealers? It's just, it's a little bit unbalanced. The well, second problem being, hmm? Well, that's the other thing with this film is, like, when Bond stops, like, I don't know, Stromberg, then Atlantis is stopped. When he stops uh, 
Zoran, then Zoran Industries is stopped. Mm. Drug smugglers are going away. Like, yeah, we talked about this in Live and Let many. Die. Yeah. In Live and Let Die, he stopped one guy for giving drugs away for free. He didn't stop anything else. <laughs> there's yeah, not really a reason. There's no resolution. Be, yeah, and there's no reason to be invested in uh, what the villain's plot is. And you, you also have to really hate a villain for more than just he killed Felix's wife and he almost killed Felix. Which, <laughs> let's be honest, he wasn't, he wasn't even efficient at killing Felix. Like, he thought that Felix was dead and he isn't. So that's kind of dumb, too. <laughs> the... The thing that makes him a really dumb villain here, though, it's, again, just the fact that Bond's feeding him these subtle lines. And if it had been done a little bit more efficiently, I'd buy it. But he had one throwaway line earlier on about there there could be somebody on the inside, you know, you need to watch out for. And then he came to Bond and he's like, well, I got the guy on the inside after he killed Crest. He's like, you mean only one? I mean, maybe there's two. Like, is he just going to keep saying that every single time and people are going to be convinced that Bond somehow is taking down this organization? He's just throwing out ideas. And how dumb is Sanchez if he could have achieved everything, been like this Pablo Escobar level drug lord. But all it takes is some guy he doesn't know suggesting, uh, look at Truman Lodge. I think he's stealing your money. He's like, yeah, sh- shoots him and kills him or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not convincing at all. It makes him a really dumb villain, especially because everything Bond does in this movie is by luck, and he actually screws up more than he helps. You know, you could have had this organization taken down properly by the Hong Kong narcotics or whatever, and Bond got in the middle of that. And (laughs) the only reason that he's even able to get in here is because, by chance, none of the guys he's already interacted with that know him as James Bond can recognize him. I mean, how does he know he's in the bar fight with these guys? How does he know that he's not going to run into them at some point? What if he didn't have the mask? Like, this is the mask, you know, the hiding his Scottish disease from you only live <laughs> twice all over again. Like, everything is dependent on the fact that there is a mask there for him to wear. Just the whole plot that everybody gives this movie so much credit for about taking down the villains organization. Bond doesn't really do that. It's just making the villains look dumb. But I think the action every Bond hand, movie, it's like that, though. There are little things that you could nitpick and say, well, if this, 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 it doesn't happen, then, no, you know. This really? is the entire climax of the movie. Bond is involved in a couple of kills, but even after they know that he's really, he's like, like, this is what makes him so dumb, because here Sanchez finds out, no, Dara's like, this is the guy. He's actually British Secret Service or whatever. You know, he, he was in a tuxedo when you were captured or whatever. He just told him that this guy is an agent and that Bond's still going, Truman Lodge has your money. He's going to steal it. So why is he listening to Bond now? He knows that he's, you know, been playing him the whole time. It just makes him so dumb. This is probably the dumbest villain we've ever seen based on how they handle the movie. Um, if we're getting to the action, the fight scene with Dario, I thought you guys were going to talk this up a lot more because this is probably the most violent fight we've ever seen in a Bond movie. Uh, all the way down to not just Benicio Del Toro bleeding, but like his eye is completely bloodshot, which is like the most grotesque thing I've ever seen. This fight scene with the, 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 whatever you call the conveyor belt and that thing that's chopping everything to pieces behind them. It's so intense. I, I think this is probably, I think the most intense scene of the entire movie, even over the truck chase. Uh, and the truck chase is fantastic too we have to have a kind of ridiculous bit there where they make getaway by golf cart. Uh, <laughs> I think the people running next to them were outpacing them. Uh, I don't know how a golf cart was helping them at all. I'm but Arnold Palmer. 
<laughs> yeah, we should have had the Arnold Palmer guy in there still. <laughs> He's but old by Bless now. your heart. <laughs> I'm Arnold Palmer. Um, Mildred, that's your ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the, the truck chase is really good, too. Again, it's one of those things where I just feel like they were trying so hard to make it Americanized that we have to have them driving a big semi-truck and... Uh, it's not that I have a problem with the action sequence. I think the action is phenomenal. The stunt driving's great. Minus Bond popping a wheelie <laughs> in a semi-truck, which is probably the dumbest thing we've seen in any Bond climax. No joke. Maybe the dumbest thing ever. Why is he doing that? Just to show off? To get over the fire. <laughs> how does he know how to pop a wheelie in a semi-truck? In a semi-truck. Because he's James freaking Bond. There's just moments in this movie where, again, I wish that the rest of the movie had a bit more of a sense of humor. Because this movie, it's the opposite of Diamonds of Forever. Diamonds of Forever was just all joke and nothing you could take seriously. And this is nothing you can uh, take as a joke. It's just all too serious. So when you have the bless your heart Joe Butcher character and you have Bond popping a wheelie, when you have, as we're going to get to in a minute, a blinking fish, um, it just it takes you out of the movie. The fight with Sanchez on the end, though, like I, I, I have to agree with Ben. I don't know if he's really a fighting guy. He's much more of a, I'm going to put Bond over my knee and spank him with a whip. <laughs> uh, I guess that's what he does if he's really going to fight with somebody. But everybody knows, like, him burning to death, that was a highlight. I tried to take this seriously. I tried to watch this knowing it was like this really brutal death. And I still burst out laughing after about two seconds. It's just the funniest <laughs> thing in the world to me. And I know I'm sadistic for thinking that. One other minor complaint here. How does he read the writing on the lighter? We have to have an extreme close-up to read it, and even then you're squinting your eyes like, what? what is that? It's kind of shiny. He's standing like several feet away from this, and he somehow can read it. Like Bond probably should have given a line there to sell this whole revenge thing a little bit better than show him a lighter that he probably, when he's killing him, He's probably burning us. What does it say? What does it say? I don't get it. What did I do wrong? <laughs> Can we just backtrack two hours? Um, why are Felix and Della giving out presents on their their wedding night? Surely a... Bond should be giving them lighters. Well, it's have you? I don't know if you've ever been to a wedding. Uh, generally, if you are like in the wedding party, you get a gift you... to the people in the wedding party. Yeah, yeah. you get a like a thank you gift. Um, well, I was one of them, and I didn't get a gift. <laughs> you had a cheap groom, man. <laughs> wow. That one's got the, some regret. The groom was my father. The resent. Well, if you dad. Well, I was, Your I dad was like gave a... you life. Was that not good enough? <laughs> I want a lighter, dad. Um, I just want to really quickly point something out, just as kind of a little bit of a rebuttal towards Colin there. I, I mean... I see what you're saying with it, but you know, I mean, if you if you look at like Drax, like is he dumb for letting Jaws up there at the end? Who's going to turn on him at the end? And you know, um, there's just there's a lot of those with any villain. I feel, and I mean, he's put but in it... a movie that's supposed to take itself as seriously as this. Yeah, I see that, but at the same time, it still is a Bond film, so there are certain elements to it that are going to be in there, like the trope of like the villain. I mean, they can't let the villain ultimately win because, I mean, I'd love to see that to be honest, but like you know, that's that's a different film. That's the that's the James Bond will not return because the villain won. Um, but yeah, it's I don't know. I, I I can see it, but I still feel as though it's just it's no different to any other Bond villain who has 
any element to it that is basically exactly what you pointed out, that they can be considered dumb because there's always that one key thing that they've overlooked that stops their plan for whatever it is that they're trying to achieve in the film. I think, though, that if Bond... But the other villains? (laughs) (laughs) I think, though, if Bond is undercover uh, with Blofeld, Blofeld, when Blofeld all of a sudden Bond wakes up and is like, no, no, you're not Sir Hilary Bray, you're 007. If at that point he's like, wait a second, Irma Bunt, she's going to screw you over. He turns over and he sh- shoots Bunt. <laughs> that makes him dumb. That's what Sanchez is doing here. He knows that Bond was betraying him the whole time. He knows that Bond was full of it. And he's still like, Bond's like, Truman Lodge has your money. I got to get that Lodge. Bond's right. All right. We should move on because we've still got to get the debate on the kill counts. So let's get a move on with this. Um, uh, so to end out the film, we've got a pretty bland ending. It's Bond talking to a very chipper Felix on the phone. Felix is very happy. I know. Uh, I was I that morning is... Yeah, yeah you have... His died like three days ago. Dude, you have to think okay. that maybe... Felix was responsible for the death of Della, and this is all a big Felix plan. Plot, plot twist to Thanks, bring back James. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes, uh, he doesn't really care too much about Della. <laughs> um, and then Lupa, Lupi, Lupa, Lupi wants Bond, but she gets to go with uh, Karen Bay Jr. instead. Bond jumps over the side of the building, and I laugh if. Uh, he actually misjudged where the pool was and Bond falls to his death. But anyway. Um, <laughs> <will> not return. <laughs> yeah. Bond and Pam get together when they should have got together. It would have made sense for the story. Um, no one is the S word. They're all happy. They all get to have their partners. No one's getting whipped by Sanchez. And we have a fish blinking <laughs> because what? why not? <laughs> Just what you needed in a John Glenn, James Bond film. To this is the last scene of John Glenn's career in James Bond: a fish blinking. Um, and this is the movie he's proudest of his entire career. <laughs> and then you have a horrible song that's even worse than "License to Kill" theme song is "If You Asked Me To." And no, I did not ask you to sing this song. Piss off, James Bond will return. Maybe <laughs> this film could have ruined it for everything. See you in six years. So let's just quickly wrap this up because we've still got all the ending to do. But I think the main talking point here is fish blinking. I I like it. I mean, it's just it's a dull. It's a, <laughs> it doesn't matter what stupid thing happened. Oh, I I I think this is pretty good. I got a defense for this. I'm sorry. I just re-listened to the Moonraker episode and the half the things that you two are defending in it. Like you can't judge me for this. Um, I am. I will. It's an interest. It's just it's it's a, it's a Dalton ending. Like each Bond has their each actor has their endings. Like we had that with the Conneries. Like oh, let's just root under a parachute. You know the Moors were you know, attempting re-entry and Margaret Thatcher and you know um, well Brosnan's oh, that famous is... badger blinking at the end of the Living Daylight. <laughs> Brosnan's endings. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you say this is a Dalton thing. He had two films, and it's the only time something stupid happens. Um, no, his his endings are kind of oh, whatever. I know what I'm talking about. Get in my head. Um, but it's it's you know he chooses he chooses Pam over Loopy. Um, Loopy living up to her reputation gets with oh. the president. Um, <laughs> Q oh. as an eye yeah, roll. I love that she's gone from Sanchez to cheating on Sanchez with like three. He's with the president of a country. Um, 
Q's eye roll in the pool and yeah, nice little hookup. Um, and the fish blinking. Yeah, what is that? Uh, not as good as human head on fish body earlier, but, um, and then we get freeze frame still with credits over it. And then we get, if you ask me to, it's just a, it's a, it's an 80s pop song. Like you two obviously don't like 80s music. It's fine. It's not a brilliant song. It's not a shit song. It's just a song. The song is fine. Um, it's, yeah, it's fine. I, I have nothing against it. The, the funny thing about the song. <sighs> is that it actually, Celine Dion covered it about two years after it was released. And it like went on to be like a top 10 hit in America. And I think it went to like number one in Canada. Like it was a huge hit for Celine Dion. And I, I'm trying to find the bloody singer who sang the original. And I couldn't even tell you who sang the original. Um, because I think it's mainly known as a... Um, Patti LaBelle is the original singer. Patti okay. LaBelle. Um, it's apparently Justine. more known as a Celine Dion song. So Canada connection. Um, one thing I noticed in the credits, I don't know if anyone else picked it up. We had a tobacco warning in the credits. I don't know... Um, what sort yeah, of led to that? This is the first time I've had Bond smoking in a long time, actually, in this film. So straight away, it leads it to tobacco. The, <laughs> it was part of an explosion um, earlier <laughs> in the movie at the casino. I'm just waiting for the safe sex warnings to come. Like, <laughs> make sure you use condoms yep. when sleeping oh, with we the rolls. They, they made it painfully clear that Bond was wearing a condom in that boat earlier. <laughs> <laughs> just see him undoing a rubber. Just let me make protection. <laughs> like, again, Connery's back. But um, you know, well, we we get a we get a line like that in Goldeneye, don't we? Like that depends on your definition of safe sex. There you go. Like he's talking condoms up in Goldeneye. So, whatever. The movie's over. It's great. It's fantastic. If you asked me to, which you did, and I told you about it. Oh, that's my turn. Sorry. <laughs> um, let's see what's wrong with this here. Um, everything. Uh... <laughs> Got his list. What's wrong with this scene? <laughs> we have this love triangle that never existed in the movie uh, because there was no chemistry whatsoever between anybody. And, oh, Pam's going to be jealous, even though she doesn't really know Bond. Um, Lupe was apparently so in love with him, uh, even though she can very quickly switch to the president afterwards. Uh, Q has an eye roll. Um we have Felix. Uh, we have Felix not even mourning the death of his wife. This entire plot revolves around the audience caring that Della was raped and murdered on her wedding night. Della. And as soon as they got the drug lord, Felix is moving on. Like this doesn't help the movie. <laughs> There's a freaking fish blinking in this movie. What is wrong here? <laughs> Why do people think this is, like, the most serious Ian Fleming-like Bond ever? If you put this... I, I said the same thing with the living daylights. You put half of the stupid things that happen in uh, Timothy Dalton movies into a Pierce really? Brosnan movie, and he's crucified for it. If Die Another Day ended with Bond pulling a diamond out of Halle Berry's belly button, and then you turn, and there's an inanimate statue of a fish that winks at the camera... <laughs> that movie, every copy is burned. Like, not, it makes no sense. You and the birdie so again. Yeah, that's right. Let's burn the blinking fish. It's a freaking blinking fish. What is it doing there? Why is it blinking? <laughs> I love you that Colin's turning all into me in Moonraker right now and just screaming at everything. <laughs> but you mentioned Moonraker, and Noah and I were completely on board with how dumb the pigeon was. And you're like, 
I like the blinking fish. I think that it fits the tone of the movie. This well, is it's a, a statue. <laughs> you can admit a statue's gonna be there. What world is a pigeon double taking fucking James Bond? Let's not get into it's this. It's a real one. pigeon. Pigeons turn their heads. It's a real statue. Don't this isn't science fiction. When have you ever walked back a statue and been like, I think that thing just blinked at me. Did that thing blink? It doesn't really happen in real life. It depends on the <laughs> statue maker. <laughs> The most realistic. Oh, I'm so concept. confused. This is this is the most bizarre thing. This this is ending again. All those fans, Timothy Dalton, the dangerous hard edge Bond, that has a blinking fish um, statue. If this were a blinking fish, it would be one thing. This is an inanimate giant statue of a fish winking at the camera to signal the end of John Glenn and Timothy Dalton's era. Enough said. All right, let's move on to our final things. Um... Um, this has been one ride, that's for sure. So, I don't even know what order we're supposed to be doing it, but hey, let's talk about a stupid idiot for first for one. <laughs> Box office. And Peter Travers, he is a stupid idiot. But don't read his stuff. And what a wonderful intro. Um, what was that? Was that... Stupid idiot you're referring to Peter Travers or Ben Waterworth. I'm not talking about Ben Waterworth. Uh, <laughs> Peter Travers, who fighting for his job at the moment as of yes. 2015. Um, wow, so, we shouldn't laugh, but uh, we're quite yeah, hopefully on this show. Yeah, hopefully he pulls through. But quick, give us some um, Peter and some box office quickly. Um, all right. Well, uh, I think we've talked a lot about throughout these episodes that box office wise, not too friendly for license to kill. Um, unadjusted, uh, 34,666,000, making it the 20th out of 24. But in all really, in all realistic nature of what this was up against, we should mention that, um, it was released in the summer and a few movies that it was facing competition from. Batman, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, Lethal Weapon 2, The Abyss, Star Trek 5, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, apparently, is notable to mention here, and Ghostbusters 2. And basically, from this point onwards, Bond films were always released in the fall or the winter, just so that they didn't have to compete with big summer blockbusters, because each year now, obviously, in the late 80s, as we've sort of mentioned, it comes up. So a lot of it is attributed to that as well. Um, well, as hold on, as a counter argument, half the movies you mentioned there were colossal bombs as well. <laughs> so it wasn't all the hey, competition. Was, honey, I shrunk the kids. I mean, come it was on. a long summer. Um, if you were just for inflation, though, License to Kill sadly has made the least amount of money, uh, seventy-two million eight hundred twenty-six thousand. It's about twenty-one million dollars below the Man with the Golden Gun in terms of adjusted uh, figures. Um, and also, actually, I've got a worldwide statistic for Lies. This is the first time I can do this. Worldwide adjusted. Um, we've got stats from License Kill onwards. Uh, it is the ninth um, most... Uh, well, actually... Well, this has actually got Spectre on the list already, um, based on a couple of days already in the UK, and Spectre's about halfway to License to Kill. Um, so, <laughs> License to Kill, 156.2 million worldwide. Actually, Moonrake is on this list. Whatever, that's worldwide. Uh, Peter Travers, he's a stupid idiot. Um, he has this as the second worst Bond film, just below The Living Daylights and just ahead oh. of Quantum of Solace. 
Um, and just quickly, he says, uh, Drab in the extreme, Timothy Dalton second, and Weezing final turn to 007 was barely recognisable as a Bond film. Robert Darby was a live wire as drug lord Fran, Fran Sanchez, but Dalton's pursuit of him played like a substandard episode of a TV cop show. Um, and I swear, actually, Colin uh, wrote that instead of Peter Travers. But um, anyway, yes, that's him done with. Next. Yeah, well, just before we move on, a, a couple of things I just want to add. It is an important thing you mentioned that 1989 was the most competitive summer ever for movies. I mean, Lethal Weapon 2, Batman, Indiana Jones, there was a lot going on there. But this movie, it failed to even open in the top three in, in America. It opened in fourth place behind Lethal Weapon 2, Batman, and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, which had all been out for a, a month at that point. Um the most important thing about this, I think, is that they did try after the Living Daylights gross was slightly down to tailor this, as we said, to an American audience. And it did well other parts in the world. It's just this bombed so bad in America that I think we should be happy a movie like this failed because it means that they're never going to try and go back and Americanize a movie again. I think uh, it was because the Americans didn't know what to kill means um <laughs> title was too confusing anyway um let's move on to Wrong thing. it's the whole the whole with the classic scenes hall of fame that's what i heard okay i heard that too did you hear that colin yeah um hall of fame oh, yeah. this great film of all <laughs> Of all the classic scenes in Bond, um, trucks at the end. <laughs> I thought you were like clearing your throat. You're just like, um, trucks. Well, yeah, wheelies. I, I think that's no, no definitely a wheelie. Uh, I like the Dario fight. Uh, you guys didn't seem as high on it, but I think uh, that is that a Hall of Fame James Bond. Well, uh, in this movie, yeah. Um, <laughs> One thing I think that should really be considered is Felix and the Sharks. Cause oh, yeah, put yeah. that up. It's Hang the on, last significant on. use of Fleming material. So, Trump and final the one thing that I always thought of when I thought of this film was the one where Felix gets eaten by a shark. I want to put up Plane Chase. No, oh, here we go. What do you want? The no. Plane Chase. The, the, you know, oh. the water skiing oh. in the plane. How can you say that's the no? <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm inclined to agree, but can we think of anything better first? Like the Bar Dario fight, I think, is way better. I'll get out of here, you. <laughs> the bear, but that thing is a, a sadistic fight. Uh, Wayne no. Newton. <laughs> the blinking fish. So I've got truck final chase, <laughs> Felix versus the shark. Um... <laughs> I kind of like the plain one over Dario. Well, I'm happy to hear other suggestions, but I honestly think the plain one... It doesn't one... matter. I'll be dead next week anyway. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the plain one... We'll have Cable Brandon in next week, folks. He's You'll love him. Um, it, I think... You'll love The plain one shits all over. I mean, I'm not discounting Dario. That's probably about fourth or fifth, but... What about Honeymoon? <laughs> oh, Although that's kind of Felix's uh, shark bit, though. It is. That's in that scene. <laughs> Pre-titles? Yeah. No. Water skiing beats Anything but the... Honestly, I don't even care. Anything but the bar fight, I will vote for it. Oh, point. the bar fight. No, the bar fight. Not the uh, bar, bar fight. fight. Yeah. The bar fight. Yeah, <laughs> no, okay. not the bar fight. 
I will hold this up until we hit hour number five if you guys suggest a bar fight. I, I think water ski trumps Dario's death, not that Dario's death. I feel like it's on the poster, isn't it? And people probably know it more as a classic scene over Dario's death. Yeah. Well, based on the box office, we know nobody even saw the poster <laughs> for this movie. Yeah. Damn. So what are we doing? Uh, I, I, well, I, anything, uh, but the, anything but the bar fight. Truck so final chase, the... Felix vs. Shark, and the bar fight. I mean, uh, plane be... chase no! and the water skiing <laughs> sequence. <laughs> yeah. Um, we should also talk about uh, the fact that Bond disappeared for what, like, six years after this. Yeah. Will we but... not mainly talk about that Cover in that Golden Eye? <laughs> oh, we're not talking about it now. I just wanted to point it out. Um, so we got the Hall of Fame, then. Yep, I'm happy with that. Yeah. Quicker than I thought we would do with that one. Um, shall we move on to... Mr. Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang. Yes, you just heard the sound clip for Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang, performed live. Um, <laughs> yeah, Kiss, Kiss, Bang, Bang t- time, which is the the end of Dalton. So we're going to have a Dalton total, but we'll talk about it in the 80s. Uh, jump straight into it. Bond, James Bond, one. one. Yes. Martini. One. One. Yes. With suggestive hand gestures. <laughs> uh, kiss. Two. Two. Yes. It's the eight scare. Um, uh, and here we go, the controversial one, which I have to say, I'm kind of feeling confident, but as soon as I say that, it's going to be way off. I'm just going to go straight out and say I have ten kills for this film. I have eight. I have eight. Oh. <sighs> <laughs> Colin, Hello. Right, Unless I'll I go. miss, because yeah, there I I I have my notes confused here with a few numbers. I might have ten, so mention yours. <laughs> so Colin has maybe the same as Ben, maybe the same as me. Great. Ooh, well, no, who does he like I, better? Between, <laughs> I, I put down two in the truck, but I didn't have a chance to review because I know there was two in the plane. So I don't know if I mistakenly put truck instead of plane here. So if there was two kills in the plane and two kills in the truck, then I have ten. Was there only I one will... kill in the plane, though? Because one of them was alive when he got in the water. I think he Did died. Did show him as alive? The, the, I don't remember them showing him as alive. The second one. They, like, went and go get him, and he was swimming. You could see him swimming. But there were a lot of people in that water. Was it really But that was the guy who fell from the plane. Because when he actually dropped the second guy out of the plane, he wasn't that high up above the ground. And that's when they said, go and get him, and you could see him swimming in the water. All right, well, I've got nine then. Um, let me go through my nine and we'll see which one you don't have. Uh, maggots? Yep. Yes. Which oh, I'm what? surprised you guys counted. Well, when that's, that's the one that I kind of said because... Like, so now we need to go back and count Whisper then. The, well, no, the reason he's dead though is because you hear the cop guy say, we found a couple of bodies and then he said, yeah. and we found... Well, we're all in agreement. Killifer. So. so, yeah, anyway. Electric eel? Yep. Mm-hmm. Killifer? Yep. Yep. Beer gun. Yep. Yep. Uh, plain guys, or plain guy in this yep. case. Outside the bar. Yep. Uh, Dario. Yep. Tanker driver. I didn't get that one. Definitely killed at least one person during the tanker chase. Which one was that one, though? Oh, I, it was like a 20 no, minutes. No, I rewatched that scene as we were starting here because that's the one I was questionable on. And I didn't see him kill anybody, and that was my that's, second time watching. That's what I did, because I'm pretty sure I went back, because there was one there which I was kind of like, oh, but if there was a guy who died in it, I'm pretty sure that was more, I think, one of the henchmen or whatever did something to blow him up. Sanchez. 
Yeah, I'm pretty... Yeah, Sanchez I, is... Uh, I'm just going to agree with you, but I saw someone die, but I'm not going to debate it, so it's eight. Yeah. Hey, there we go. That wasn't too bad. <laughs> <laughs> or we just don't care because it's licensed to kill. <laughs> I care. Common, I care. <laughs> Uh, so there's something left. Oh, so, hang on. Do we want the totals quickly, or don't you care about uh, the totals? <laughs> go for it. Um, 177 kills, 43 um, cat meows, um, <laughs> 11 martinis, and 18 Bond James Bonds. All right. Last song. Rankings, baby. Alright, let's get into it and we'll also summarise our thoughts here quickly. Um, for me, I'm going to say Licence to Kill, I don't find painful to watch. I can re-watch it. I don't as much as some of the other ones. It's just a lot of okay, like Sanchez is okay, but there's issues. Dario's okay. Uh, Felix, I like the return of David Hedison, but underused and then he doesn't really seem to care about his wife. Um, it gets kind of really boring in the isthmus area um a lot of those scenes some impressive action scenes but some are just random like the ninjas um pam is okay but she has problems Looper's okay but she has problems spanky don't get me started money penny underutilized m randomly in like two scenes so there's a lot of issues and it's an 80s action movie and it's so far removed from any james bond film um it's decent. I don't hate it. Um, but I also feel like it's getting kind of a lot of love recently, kind of a resurgence. And personally, I don't see it, but I guess it's all up to personal preference. Um, so I'm going to say with this film, no no pauses and that, that we like to talk about. Um, I'm putting it in 16th place, which is also last place. Um I don't know if this will be the last place overall, but at the, this point it is. Uh, I don't hate the film, but again, I just can't justify putting it higher than the other 15 films that we've watched personally. It's so funny because I've um, I've got sort of the template for our article in front of me and I've kind of had to put the gaps in there and I've anticipated both you and Colin putting this at last. So I kind of actually <laughs> left the last spot blank. Um, so, well, I've got 50, 50% of that right so far. Um, this, I disagree. I, I actually think, and maybe I haven't sold it as much, I think this has got a lot more Bond elements in it than we're giving it credit for. And I, I do not, for one, feel this does not feel like a Bond film. There's probably one James Bond film that I think doesn't feel like a James Bond film, and that's not a Pierce Brosnan one before we say anything like that. Um, this is this is great. It's I love the whole storyline to it. I, for one, am a fan of Bond going on Revenge and being in a Miami Vice episode. I love, as much as Colin kind of dislikes it, what I'm about to say, I love this real gritty Bond. It's kind of, you know, blinking fishes aside, a, a fairly realistic plot. Um, you know, when, and I love my outlandish over-the-top Bonds, but every now and then, too, I also like my, you know, fairly serious James Bond film. I'm a huge Dalton fan. I love the way he plays James 
Bond. It has moments of humour, which um, I think are great. And sure, Colin can laugh at that, but I think that what we do see of the humour is fantastic. We see a, a gritty, determined, whatever Bond actually smile and not swagger around topless like a piece of cardboard for two hours. Like, you know, he might look creepy in an aeroplane smiling, but at least he smiles, um, which I think a lot of people don't give Timothy Dalton credit for. And as I kind of said in The Living Daylights, I feel that the Daniel Craig films have only served to increase Timothy Dalton's reputation as James Bond. So, look, I love this film. I'm not going to drag this out anymore. Bring on the laughter. Number three. This is going in third place. Third? third? I don't feel like you have justified your opinion for it to be third, but okay. Well, what else would you like me to add on that? Well, what if you do a killer's fourth, and let's not even hear about the rest of your rankings anymore. <laughs> what's second? Uh, Under Majesty's Secret Service. What's first? Spy Love Me. Yeah. What's number two in your list, Noah? <laughs> not licensed to kill. <laughs> you got Diamonds Are Forever above Under Majesty's Secret Service. I can always put this in number two if we want to go down that path. Well, it's not a competition. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, Ben, you nailed my spot. I'll just say right off the bat. This is dead last. I'll give my reason why. It's As I said at the top, it's not a terrible movie. It is a good 80s action movie. It's compared to the four Lethal Weapon movies, it would be my fifth favorite Lethal Weapon movie compared to the 100 <laughs> or whatever the episodes of <laughs> Compared to my one hundred whatever weapon. episodes of Miami Vice, this might be in the the top half of the Miami Vice episodes. <laughs> it's just standard in every way. There's nothing special about this. There are elements of this that would really work as an Ian Fleming story or as a book, but nothing is developed well enough. The plot isn't developed. The organization is just idiotic. Um, every character is made to look dumb by the end, so that timothy dalton could have this great revenge story even though his revenge story doesn't make sense because there's no reason for him to be that connected to anybody it's not even a spy film that's i think my biggest complaint the fact that felix is no longer with the cia and they had to put him with the dea shows that this has nothing to do with james bond or his skills or even what he's investigating uh this is not a spy story from russia with love was probably still prior to this that non Majesty secret service the the most realistic bonds and this is a realistic movie for the most part minus a winking fish uh, but those movies were still spy stories and with a bond movie no matter what even if you have an interesting plot which this plot is not that interesting it still should be a spy story and this is bond on a revenge mission like dirty harry tracking down a drug baron and, and like it's Miami Vice. They're influenced by all the things that are not James Bond. And I think that had this movie succeeded, it would have been a really bad thing for the franchise. So regardless of what anybody thinks about this, I think most people can probably agree that the, the franchise could never have kept up doing this every single film unless we are eventually going to just get Bond in an American accent. I mean, he even has the Don Johnson cleavage here. It was one step away from being an American film. And that's just all wrong for Bond. I like Lupe. I like some of the villains in this. Not so much Truman Lodge, but uh, there was potential for characters that never really made it as, as good as they should have been in this movie. Last, it's it's the last film for me. It's not 
I don't know if it's going to be beat for the last film. There's one or two out there that are pretty borderline, but... I just sound this, oh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm actually yeah. got a big smile on my face right now, actually, believe it or not, because that might mean that, yeah, okay. Yeah, I, I, may, I may enjoy some of those other movies more having come off of this and known that there is a Bond that I really have serious issues with. I don't understand people saying this is a hard-edged Bond. If we average Timothy Dalton's kills, we'll talk about this in the 80s, if you average his kills between two movies, and it would rank low for even a Roger Moore film. So a lot of people's perception about what this movie and Timothy Dalton was, I think are kind of uh, a little bit false. Uh, ben has it at number three. Um, we're representing all sides here. You either love it or hate it. It's License to Kill. Yeah, Ben's either making some people very happy or very angry at the moment. Um, Dimes are forever. polarizing two. like that. Um, all right. We'll talk a lot of this, the end for a lot of things, the 80s, uh, the series almost, um, <laughs> John Glenn, but we'll talk about more of that in the 80s episode. This is what we've been waiting for. We don't want to go on too long with it because we'll be having a, probably a very long episode about it next week or whenever this comes out. But let's give a little preview on GoldenEye. Uh, mm-hmm. we're, we're here. Um <laughs> I would argue the first major reboot in James Bond, but we can talk about that. Uh, yeah, I'm so mixed on the the Brosnan era. I still don't know if I love it or I hate it. I think his films just get progressively worse each time. But I am completely on the Golden Eye bandwagon. Um, it's just, I believe it's the first one I ever saw. I don't know for sure, but it's definitely one of the first. The characters are great. The plot's great. They rebooted the series, but it works because they still retained a lot of the earlier elements with some a mix of new. They adapted James Bond in a post-Cold War world by pretty much making a Cold War movie in a way, which I love. Um, and yeah, it's, it's a departure, but in a good way at some points and I'm very excited to talk about it because it's going to be something quite different um, to what we're talking about for the past 16 and there's going to be a lot of memorable and fun moments in it. Um, I'll just leave it at that and I know Ben is super excited that we're <laughs> up to the films that he's actually watched. <laughs> <laughs> I just read on Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, obviously we've got our 80s episode to do which I'm Still excited for because you know I love. The I 80s, think we need but... to preview the eighties. Oh my goodness! We this is our sixteenth <laughs> film, and I have just been waiting and waiting and waiting, and I cannot believe we are finally here. When we started at Roger Moore, and I felt like we we're going to be here till I was Moore's age. But um, <laughs> yeah, look, the Brosnan era is my jam, man. Like this is just this is just beyond excitement levels for me. I will just defend Brosnan to the day I die. I'm putting this out there. He, to me, is the best Bond in the history of James Bond, and I have had laughter at that, I think, um, in previous episodes, but I had none there, so perhaps maybe that is... um, I don't know what that means. But, yeah, Goldeneye, it was the first Bond film I saw. I I don't think there's probably a Bond film in the entire franchise that hadn't had more of an impact on me personally than this film, and for many reasons. The game, we will, you know, to a separate episode in the video games but for anybody sort of around my age or you know our age we're all very close in age you know this played a huge 
huge influences in getting us to even in the film. This is the film I have seen the most. If we were to do a film uh, recap when, you know, we just, we knew we basically this off by heart, this would be GoldenEye. Um, there is there is nothing about this film I think that I dislike. Mind you, we might analyse it a little bit. Um, and I am just I am just so excited. As you said, Noah, this was the, the first real reboot. I think this is the reboot that, that did it well. I'm not taking away from Casino Royale. It's a good film, but obviously we get to the Craig era a little bit later. And, you know, this is the reboot that worked in my eyes and it's just it's just so good it's just so good and bring on brosnan i can't believe we're at brosnan so yes goldeneye woohoo um pierce brosnan is not the greatest james bond but (laughs) it it doesn't matter because he's pierce brosnan and for me there are two people on this planet that can make anything worth watching pierce brosnan and sean bean and you have them in a movie uh. together I love this movie. Um, and strangely enough, it, I probably got into Bond more because of Tomorrow Never Dies than this, even though I did see this first. But there, there are some problems with this movie. Uh, we'll obviously talk about them. I think all, all Bond movies, with the exception of maybe the very best, have something wrong with it. And there are some things they were struggling with here that I don't think they quite nailed to the later movies. But again, it doesn't matter because, as you said, Ben, this was like it was a perfect reboot. They took everything. There are so many times, like when they did Honor Majesty's Secret Service, Diamonds Are Forever, Free Your Eyes Only, Living Daylights, even License to Kill, where they tried to update Bond in one way or another. And they always kind of went too far. It was a little bit too realistic in License to Kill. It was a little bit too Americanized in License to Kill, Diamonds Are Forever, Free Your Eyes Only, didn't have the balance, Honor Majesty's Secret Service. It was maybe too serious too quickly. This, they just acknowledge there are things that modern audiences are going to identify more with more. They're going to identify with, point out some of the things about Bond's character, you know, about him being maybe a little bit misogynist and uh, about him being just a relic of the Cold War. They really played on the times so well in this movie. And there's a reason why this is right up there with The Spy Who Loved Me and From Russia With Love and Goldfinger is like, one of the untouchable bonds like it's very rare unless you're peter chavers that you say anything <laughs> negative against goldeneye because it is such a good movie and i'm completely with it pierce brosnan and sean bean in one movie like oh. that alone you can have me talk about those two guys for the next three hours and i wouldn't even get tired that's the pitch that you walk into a, a hollywood like producer's office all right got this idea for you guys <laughs> right ready for this pierce brosnan and sean bean sold make it right now he's yeah, exactly. 50 million dollars <laughs> All right, we're very excited for that, but we've still got the 80s episode, so... Ah, skip that, te- fuck it, GoldenEye. Yeah, well, technically, it. if you really want to hear GoldenEye, you can probably just skip that, but we're not telling you to not listen to our episodes, but... Um, we might actually probably, in all realism, depending on our schedules, might have a Spectre re- reaction episode before GoldenEye, but, you know... <laughs> <laughs> so it might be a bit of a wait for Pierce, but we're getting there. <laughs> Um, I just love the way you said that though. I don't know why. I'm so disappointed to see the new Bond movie Because we're about to talk about Goldeneye um, but Most people probably aren't even listening in order Hello people in 2017 who listened to this last Because it's your least favourite Bond film um, So it doesn't even matter Like us on Facebook Send us an email at hotmail.com We won't check it but 
send it anyway. Just at hotmail.com. No, no <laughs> double or seven at hotmail.com. You need oh, to have that bit before. They're not Americans. They're not. They know things. Um, <laughs> and write on our Facebook if you want. Send us articles, uh, send us <laughs> comments on various social media, Twitter, forums, uh, whatever, because um, we love your reception. That's it. Um, the end of License to Kill, but James Bond will return six years later in Goldeneye. Um, and to anyone out there, feel free to cut your hair short because no one will judge you and no one will care. I will say to wrap this up, my name's Noah and I hope you enjoy your honeymoon. Blinking <laughs> fish. <laughs> wow, this, we really do need the reboot next uh, episode with Goldeneye. That's it, a license to kill, and I think it ended up breaking my heart. Good night, and we'll see you in six years. Effective immediately. Your license to kill is revoked. Oh, James, I wanted you to have something. Della! You think you're in some banana republic? All that scumbag money won't do you a bit of good here. I'll do anything for a woman with a knife. If it hadn't been for Q Branch, you'd have been dead long ago. I want you to know this is nothing personal. It's purely business. Guess what? His name was Sharky. <laughs> Pam, this is Q, my uncle. Uncle, this is Miss Kenneth, my cousin. Ah, we must be related. Don't you know? Iguana's our girl's best friend. <laughs> now, why did you go to the Bahamas? Mr. Sanchez, will you look this way for a picture, please? Have you been fairly treated? Are, are you connected with any laboratories in South America? Why did you go to the Bahamas? Are you really Colombian? Then you have my resignation, sir. We're not a country club, 007. Where's my wife? Don't worry. We gave her a nice honeymoon. Della! Here, buy yourself some decent clothes. Take your hands off her. And stop peeking through my windows. Hey. Everyone in my organization is 100% loyal. Then you have nothing to worry about. If you couldn't trust Crest, who can you trust? Truman Lodge? Another $80 million write-off. I guess it's time to start turning overhead. I brought you another surprise. I love surprises, Rose. Vodka martini, eh? Shaken, not stirred. Ah, see. You all right? Switch the bloody machine off! You must help me. If anything happens to him, I don't know what I'll do. I love James so much. I love James so much. I love James so much. Field operatives must often use every means at their disposal to achieve their objectives. <laughs>